have gone insane. An upside-down civilization cannot be real. A world of madness and terror. It's the Dana Gould Hour. Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash Dana and using the promo code Dana at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. I just bought one and that's no lie. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But nonetheless, welcome to the holiday 2017 episode of the Dana Gould Hour podcast. Never an hour, but usually with me. Recorded high atop Los Angeles at Falcon's Lair Recording Studios. We have two incredible interviews today and a heap and helping of audio extras for your listening pleasure, hopefully while you're traveling and traveling safely. First of all, it is December, and that calls for our year-end recap. Last year, I'm sure you'll recall how, prior to Election Day, we all thought we knew exactly how the year was going to turn out. <laughs> uh, well, it didn't quite work out that way, uh, did it? So joining me at the mic today is none other than Mike Murphy. I'm a Democrat. He's a Republican. But outside of that, we walk alike, we talk alike, we even wear our socks alike. Mike is no Trump apologist, to be sure. A dyed-in-the-wool anti-Trumper from the get-go. But he does have some unique insight into how the other side approaches this most unique period in our history. Joining Mike and myself is Pete Aronson. Pete has held many an executive position in show business, as well as being a very talented writer, all-around funny guy, and, and this is the second time I've interviewed him, and the second time we haven't gotten around to talking about it, an amateur race car driver. But if you're a fan of Stand Against Evil, you have Pete to thank for it. But more than all of that, he's a smart cookie, and I'm excited to get this conversation going. We also have Danny Bland with us. Compared to Mike and Pete, Danny is a disreputable hobo. Hobo, I say. And that's why we're friends. Danny is, among other things, the road manager for the Blasters. And yeah, I'd say he has some stories. He's also the author of the excellent novel In Case We Die, which details his oh-so-funny recovery from heroin and the people he met along the way. Danny, well, you'll hear it all. I wish I had Danny on every month. He is the real deal. As for me... Well, if you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area, I will be back at one of my favorite clubs in the country, The Laughing Skull, January 4th, 5th, and 6th. And then I'll be back up to San Francisco, where I just was, on January 18th, 19th, and 20th for good old Sketchfest. Thanks to little Janet Varney from just down the street. Go to the live appearances page at danagould.com for details. But I must tell you, on January 19th, at Sketchfest, at the Marines Memorial Theater... The folks who brought you last year's live staged reading of Plan 9 from Outer Space are reconvening for a live staged reading of the John Travolta classic, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. It stars not only Stand Against Evil's me, Janet Varney, Deborah Baker Jr., and Nate Mooney, but also Scott Adsit from 30 Rock, Maria Bamford from Lady Dynamite, Steve Ogg from The Walking Dead, and Ron Lynch from Bob's Burgers. The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. See it. We want to put its germs all over you. Again, go to the live appearance page of danagould.com for ticket links, etc. 
Lastly, but not leastly, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I will be at the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia, February 2nd and 3rd. For details and links to all of this malarkey, please visit the live appearance page at danagool.com. But enough of my yakking. It's on to our filthy business. It is a deceptively calm and sunny day high atop the Mulholland view shelf here in Falcon's Lair Recording Studios. To put this in a historical context, L.A. has just, just only one sunset ago, dodged a flaming bullet, although we are certainly not unscarred. But I am here with two gentlemen whose houses still stand. And uh, we're going to wrap up the year in this Nathaniel Westian <laughs> dystopian day. Uh, I am joined by uh, how, how do I how do I even describe you? Uh, Socio political gadfly, uh, Hollywood uh, Republican. How would you describe yourself? <laughs> You're giving yourself a stroke. Re- Republican <laughs> consultant, now Hollywood yeah. writer, children's magician, children's. <laughs> <laughs> Dating columnist, dating columnist, podcaster, uh, me a podcast, me, uh, uh, many, most of you who know Mike will know him from his appearances on Meet the Press. Uh, meet, meet, meet depressed is what he calls coming to my house, <laughs> or Meet the Press, which is a television show. Uh, and uh, you worked for many years in politics, uh, put many people in office, and now you have uh, your completely uh, second career uh, here in beautiful. Hollywood, California, where everyone's honest and great. It's true. Um, I'm the only right-wing nut uh, Republican political consultant with 30 years of running campaigns and a tattoo I heart McConnell. That's also a <laughs> dues-paying, dues reluctant member of the Writers Guild of America. That's right. The, 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 so the teeming... I bridge both crazies. The, the teeming, yeah. the teamy commie hive that is the Writers Guild. Uh, Mike Murphy is here. Say hello, Mike. This is the sound of my voice. And uh, an old friend of mine and a, a, a man who started... You started off as a writer. Is That's how we were. I was a line producer. Well, you, were a li- you were a line producer and then you became executive. a writer. Yeah. So that's what I love about both of you guys is that you understand both sides of the coin. You understand the show and the business, and that applies not only to show business but to politics. It's show and business. Um, but uh, now you are the what, what do you what is your what is your title over there? Uh, I uh, am the head of programming and production for IFC. So if you're if you're a, if you're a fan of Stand Against Evil, you can certainly thank this guy or blame this guy. And well, they uh, should blame you. Yeah, they should blame me. <laughs> thank thank me, you, but blame you. Uh, but old man, a writer on the a writer on the late lamented Super Adventure Team, you know. You gave a little Jeff Garland his first break in the business. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Uh, Pete Aronson is here. This is the sound of my voice. Now, uh, we were, uh, it's very funny, uh, to go back 12 months, uh, Pete and I uh, did this podcast in early November of 2016. No, it was late October. 
And we it were, was the week before the election. It was the week before the election. And we were just smugly saying, well, clearly Hillary's going to win. And, and Like morons. Like yeah. classic <laughs> Hollywood dipshit WGA members, just like you, Mike. Uh, morons. We and, were saying she was going to win. And, and then thinking, and then thinking, like the, the trick would be how quickly people will go. Can you believe how how Donald Trump is almost a president? Like when will that set in? November tenth, November eleventh. When will we emerge from that fog? And uh, and it here didn't, we are still in it. it yeah. And you realize that you realize before the end of the uh, election. I'm, but I'm right here in the moron parade. I uh, I was on. Well, we were texting, and then you stopped texting. Me. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I look, man I, down, man down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was. Yeah. Uh, I just got. I just got Broward. It was one yeah. particular county came in, and you went, "Oh shit!" Yeah, it was early. We could see. I said, "Make your zombie stick sharp, and you know, head for the hills." <laughs> later, later, things going to get very dark very fast. Yeah, I was actually sitting there with Carville. We were both working for NBC election night, uh-huh. and they put us in like a little studio with I think it was um, Lawrence O'Donnell away from the main thing. It was like the old guys studio. <laughs> you know, and when we, we want to lose viewers, we go to guys who've actually you know done elections yeah exactly and exactly yeah. to the laser graphic in miss oklahoma or whatever and, uh, <laughs> so we're sitting down there and we're both on our blackberry now i had predicted that hillary was going to win because i was looking at the math of the election where she had a pretty for all her epic faults as a candidate uh-huh. that we now know and we kind of knew then i thought no there's no way she's going to beat them by two to three and a half million of the popular vote and the electoral college will follow like it has most of the time. We've only had five times in the history where it hasn't happened and never with a $3 million Delta. It's more like 400,000 was the biggest with president Bush in 2000. So anyway, yeah, I was making bets, you know, it was all done and a little bit of inside uh, politics stuff here. There's a betting pool in Florida. I've done a lot of work in Florida. I was Jeb Bush's consultant down there. And the Democrats and Republicans all do much. Now, is this the first weird thing to come out of Florida? Uh, well, <laughs> that, that is a long, long topic. Uh, stripper capital of the world, by the way. Separate podcast. Um, exactly. So, anyway, make a long story short, we were all emailing back and forth, and some of the Trump campaign consultants had bet against Trump. You know, nobody thought he was going to win. And the reason there's a special betting in Florida is Jacksonville, Duval County, comes in pretty fast and pretty early. And it's a good bellwether. It's a Republican county. We went it by a couple. So the early Jacksonville stuff came in, and Trump was underperforming Mitt Romney. Bad sign. And so all of a sudden, the emails start, and, you know, okay, it looks like Florida's going to go for Hillary. At the Hillary campaign, the rumor is that her campaign staff went marching down the hall, hail to the chief, and, you oh, know, gave her no. the good news. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Worst thing in the world to be is a candidate on election night in a murky situation, because the emotional roller coaster is unbelievable. I can't imagine. The that. smart one's like, go to sleep, tell me tomorrow. You know, yeah. it's an empty whiskey bottle out cold till the next day to face it. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, make a long story short, everybody thought, okay, it's tipping. And the exit polls all day had been terrible for Trump. So the Trump campaign staff, some and of the Trump, people you Trump see on also, television. And Trump also thinks he's going to yeah, lose. Yeah, Trump, everybody thinks Trump's going to lose, including Trump. The Trump campaign staff are all calling reporters, blaming each other for the loss. And, you know, <laughs> oh the Hillary God, people are getting fantastic. the champagne ready and all that. And then all of a sudden things start changing. Um, some of the other Florida counties, he is blowing Romney away, like Pasco County. He's underperforming in the early places, but and we, you know, this was a once in a lifetime kind of election night where this stuff comes flying in that's not supposed to. Right. And 
Carville's there, and we're and he's getting bad news from Virginia. I'm looking at Michigan, a state I grew up in and worked in. I worked for a couple of uh, statewide candidates there, the, the governor and the senator. And you're from Michigan. I'm from, I know Michigan well. And I'm looking and like, Jesus, there's something in the water. And, and in Wisconsin. And so it just, it's one of these things where there's a, there's a great essay somebody wrote about the crash of the Titanic, um, the sinking of it. And there's a wonderful phrase I'm going to get wrong, but the, the, one of the officers, like his diary who survived said, I'll never forget the sound of four Packard automobiles, 22 grand pianos, nine, Thousand pieces of china, four hundred chairs sliding across as the ship turned over. The you know the and that's yeah. what it kind of felt like. Like you know, oh my god, this thing is getting away. And the Dems who were totally buckled in, fighting about office space, ready to write their <laughs> memoirs. I genius by the campaign team. <laughs> I genius. You know, you know they. It was there's all eight, that. There's eight writers of yeah, that no, book. No, honestly, you got Helpern online too. And then I came up with this whole idea, to, and. uh and it's all in 30 minutes imploding on itself. But yeah, I, um, I got it wrong. It was close. I still think it was kind of a margin of error election. I don't want to delegitimize. He won fair and yeah, he square-ish. Did win, yeah. But we're talking about, if you look at Michigan, um, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, any one of which tipped the scales against him if he hadn't won all three. Mm-hmm. He, there were about 13.8 or 9 million votes cast in those three states. His margin was 78,000 votes. This thing was like a hiccup inside the machinery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if 50 flies had jumped up and down twice in Wisconsin, I mean, it's that. Yeah. Close. Yeah. He's but cu- that's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, no, but I, like most of the mathematicians, we all got it wrong. I'm at my daughter's school last night. There's a dance recital and it's a lot of, you know, it's on the West side and it's a lot of very well to do people. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a very well regarded showbiz lawyer whose house just escaped the fires. And I said, did you guys have a go bag? And he goes, yeah, I had, you know, he goes, it got very real. I told my kids, you pack up, you know, I might come in your room in the middle of the night and give you a five minute warning and we got to get out of here. And I go, I go, yeah, shit gets real, really quick. And he said the interesting thing he goes, yeah, you can't negotiate with a fire, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh, what well, doesn't matter what all your years of power and money right, at right. a certain point, the, the wave of fate comes and it's like, yeah, deal with it. Yeah, no, it was the, reality. The pianos, the pianos slide down the deck. It, it, gravity all of a sudden turns an ocean liner upside down. Quite a sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was it. And then it was, there were two stunned groups. The Dems who were like, we won the lottery. We're, the Rolls Royce is going to be here in an hour. No. <laughs> yeah. And some poor Clinton advance guy. I, I'm guessing about this, but you know, there's that Trump Tower. I know, I and, know the story. <laughs> and somebody, I think, I'm guessing, okay, but I just know how political operatives think. Somebody said, "Hey, election night, we're doing across the street from Trump's place and really screw him. Ha ha ha! He'll be able to hear the music." You know, cut to. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, he heard a funeral dirge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, meanwhile, on the Republican side, kind of Republicans incorporated, on one hand, are like, "Well, it looks like we're having a great night." Yay! In our hand. Did the transition committee ever meet? Yeah. You know, last we heard there was like a pie fight and they were handing out crayons and everybody went home because they couldn't <laughs> win. And, you know, we got to take control of the government of the only superpower in a little while here. And Jesus fucking Christ, what's going to. And so there was kind of a mini Republican panic on the government side. Mm-hmm. And then that led to, you know, here we are. Now, I look, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton and I didn't vote for Trump. So I. I, I was an anti-Trump Republican because I thought he, by character and everything else, was not qualified to be the president. But I also think Hillary has an ethical blind spot you could drive a locomotive through. So it was not a happy election for me to begin with. Right. But I sure thought she had the numbers to win. 
It's it's fitting that uh, I have my uh, guest with me today here in Falcon's Lair Recording Studios on on a dangerously windy day. Author, sure, musician, <laughs> road manager, tour manager. How would you describe yourself? Rock on tour. Danny Bland is here. Hello. This is the sound of my voice. So so <laughs> you sound like you should be doing like ads for no dos. <laughs> I should. Uh, Nodo should give me a call. Um, the uh, uh, the the only thing I laughed at in your introduction was the musician part because although I've played on a lot of records and been in a lot of bands, I've in the last uh, fifteen years I've discovered that I'm not actually a musician because I work with musicians uh-huh. now, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 sl- over the years I realized that I. Uh, uh, I played the part, uh, rock and roller. I could qualify for right. musician. Yeah, there's a difference. There is a big difference because, um, yeah, I've learned in, in the last few years that I'm not actually a musician. So never what wa- is never the, was. You have many, many occupations and, yes. and uh, areas of expertise. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about your your book and and hit people to your book. Uh, you have uh, your couple books. Yeah, but. Uh, what your day job now is you are working with Dave Alvin. Correct. Of, of the blasters often including the blasters, but more just Dave, mostly Dave and occasional. Well, I will, uh, 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 road manage his brother's band, the blasters when I'm not road managing Dave and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and recently, uh, Dave Alvin and Jimmy Dale Gilmore together. Mm-hmm. So, and um, we should, for the for the sake of the listeners, we have to give a little bit of cultural background. The Blasters, if yes. you're unfamiliar, were uh, came out of Downey, California, in the late seventies. Uh, one of the one of the pillars of the uh, not only the L.A. punk scene, but but the would you? I guess it would cow punk. Uh, well, although cow punk came later as a. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a label. I guess there's many names for it. I, I think they call it Americana now, and they call yeah. it, you know, it's rockabilly and but it's roots re, rock. Re, roots rock. That's probably the closest, I think. But uh, really, the Blasters were uh, an R and B band. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, they got their name from the Blues Blasters, uh, right? And right. and the uh, uh, yeah, while Los Angeles punk scene was playing. Uh, you know, hardcore punk rock. They right. were really just playing fast versions of R and B songs. They right. were playing. They were playing black music. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and know? but and those bands. But 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 they were on the same bill. That's what's amazing. Yes. Like you'd have at the Mask. You'd have like the Blasters, and you'd have X, and you'd have Suicidal Tendencies. Was Black Flag. Yeah. All, uh, Flesh Eaters, DOA. All those bands were all around at the same time. Yeah, and well, I lived in I lived in Phoenix at the time, and and uh, the Blasters were kind enough to come out there and play a lot. And they were actually, <laughs> and and I would, um, you know, as a seventeen, eighteen year old kid, the Blasters and X were my just my god band. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I came out to Los Angeles many times to see them play. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, it, it is amazing how you know we're both uh, uh, grown men, adults. <laughs> Uh, but it's that music that rings your bell when you're just coming of age that never leaves you. Exactly. Like I'm always suspicious of people over 45 
that are really into a brand new band. <laughs> you know, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I I can't remember, you know, uh, yeah, I've long since given, uh, given I mean, you should never shut yourself records. off to new stuff, but it's... The new stuff is just like, well, yeah, I like that when it was around the first time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's, you, you know, see these things just cycle uh, and over and over. And there's 70 years of recorded music uh, that I have yet to explore every single inch of it. So uh, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of old music for me. For yeah, yeah. Like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, and so Dave Alvin is uh, is touring now, and you're his tour manager. You're you're the uh, in, in Spinal Tap, you are the role that Tony Hendra had. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically, and, and you, you told me a really funny story. What's it, what's it like? How long have you been working with Dave in the Blasters? Um, uh, I, the first tour I did with Dave was in 2004 uh, with the Knitters. Right. And, and the I, Knitters was, it's basically half X, half the Blasters yeah, and some other people. And still is. They just don't, uh, right. they just put out a record every 25 years. <laughs> Yeah, not unlike me. <laughs> and, and tour, you know, I don't know, how long has it been? Tour every, let's say, five years. Um, right. Uh, uh, and and so I, I went out and tour managed the knitters, and I've been Dave's guy ever since. Right. Yeah. And the, there's a big difference between touring with a band of guys in their 20s and 30s and touring with a band with guys in their 40s, 50s, getting up into their 60s. <laughs> Well, yeah. There's a lot of drugs, but now they're all prescription. Different drugs now. You know, in the in my early before, it's like you didn't take any drugs, did you? And now it's did you take your pills? <laughs> in the early days, or when in the, I've always been the tour manager of even the bands that I was in. I didn't realize I was the tour manager for a long time, but uh, uh, you know, what in, were some of the bands you were in? I was in a band called uh, Catbutt that was on Sub Pop. <laughs> yeah. I was in a uh, in I was in a band called the Nova Boys. It was the first band I was ever in. And uh, then I was in a, a little rock combo called the Dwarves. Mm -hmm. uh, who were uh, infamously poorly behaved. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> we, uh, um, in, in those days... Now, would days, you have to change your name to the little people now? I don't know what the, what the, the acceptable they, nomenclature is. I think I think the, uh, Dwarves is still a... a an okay word to say. I'm not sure. I'm well, not sure either. Uh, well, I'm, a, I'm terrified to find out. I'm going yeah, to tweet. You don't want to step in it. Tweet it, Dana Gould. And, <laughs> and, um, so, and, you know, back then I would write, uh, I would, you know, this was pre cell phone. And so I would write the name of the hotel that we were staying at or the, you know, or the address for the house that we were crashing out on people's arms before they took off into the night after the show to to, to debauch. Was that was this in the dwarves or was that the, was in cat butt for sure? Uh -huh. uh, the, the the dwarves were a little more organized than that. But, uh, that might be the yeah. greatest sentence that has ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was in cat butt for sure. The dwarves were a little more organized. Well, it's true. The the dwarves were sort sort of uh, for for all of our antics. It was very. Uh, very much a, a guerrilla war type organization. Like we knew what we were doing. Uh, um, it, it, you know, even if, even if it was, <laughs> even if it, the plan was to go out there and, and get in a fight with the audience, that was, it was planned. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was, it was something that we, we, we were experts. We were professionals. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, there was a wrestling quality to it. it exactly. <laughs> Except for, 
people actually, well, people get hurt and actually get hurt in wrestling too. But yes, uh, they do. Yeah. Uh, Even if they're, uh, I, I, I know a lot of wrestlers <laughs> with the, my, uh, association with, uh, Lucha Vavum, um, even if you're doing everything you're supposed to do, you 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 know, there's no way a fall is a fall. You 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 hit that canvas, oh. it hurts. Uh, I, and I'm a huge fan. And then I, and I just went, uh, I just got second row seats for the uh, WWE Raw up in Seattle a few weeks ago, and and uh, uh, and I could not have been more excited. I brought my daughter with me. We used to bond. And when she was five years old, we watched wrestling. That was our thing. And now as a 26-year-old, it, to see her as excited as a – as and she is as hip as hell. You know, sure, yeah. Like in, living in Capitol Hill in Seattle and being – and to see her as excited to see uh, wrestling up close as she was, was was a thrill for me. But I watched – you know, you just have to watch them. It's like, I couldn't do that. I, I would die. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just with one – one fall, one move, hospital for me. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, and and you, it's just constant training is is really what it is. It's like you train up to the match and then you recover for a couple of days, and then you just start training again. Right. It's uh, it's it, it, it's a tough life, but the beautiful there's a beautiful aspect to it is it's pure showbiz. It's all of the artifice and and put away. It's it's right in that level of carnivals. That I feel comfortable. It's my right in my comfort zone. <laughs> oh, it's the perfect. I mean, it is. It is the ultimate uh, in show business. Really, I mean, I talk to people. You know, people want to talk about music with me all the time, but I'm like, I like music. I mean, it's okay. It's not really entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it's part of entertainment. And, and and I always use wrestling as a perfect example. Like, if they didn't have music to walk down to the ring in it would seem empty mm-hmm. but really uh, wrestling is is ev- i mean wrestling is ballet it's fighting it is shakespearean stories and mm-hmm. it also plays in arenas around the country all year long there's there's yeah. not a rock band in the world that can do that right no. now But you are, um, you know, you are something of a, a man without a country right now. You're not alone. But, That's why I'm uh, living in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you but you had a you had a really uh, you had a really popular podcast last year called Radio Free GOP that was very the really voice popular. of the Republican Revolution. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it quickly it. became the voice of the Republican Resistance. Yeah, that, because you know there is I, I I tell people that like I remember we went to uh, uh, we went. I took, we went to Lucha Vavum one night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, A really popular show here in LA that, uh, with, um, uh, it's, it's masked luchadore. What's the log line for this? Masked luchadore Mexican wrestling and, and burlesque routines. Everyone, everything important is covered. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, everyone on that stage is somebody's daughter. And, uh, and you uh, have and served as one of the was, was uh, MC, uh, Howard yeah. Cosell. Yeah, was MC, yeah. exactly. Yes. The giant headpiece of an the, antenna. <laughs> yeah, the Howard Cosell yeah. mixling wrestling meets arty weird stripping <laughs> yeah. slash no, it's not stripping burlesque. Burlesque meets yeah. alternative comedy. Right, right, exactly. Um, 
everything I'm involved in is a redheaded stepchild. But uh, long story short, people came up to me later and go, somebody said you came to that thing with Mike Murphy. Like that they knew you from television. Like, oh, what is data doing with a Republican? Is oh yeah, yeah. No, I get a lot yeah, of. No, I have a lot of. Yeah, I have a lot of friends with Republicans. I like. I like people. It's LA. <laughs> I go to dinner parties here, and they'll be whispering in the corner. My God, it's like Lord Greystoke of the jungle. Can use a fork. They expect me to like strip to my underwear and swing from the chandelier. You know, it's like look at that. He he appears to not be afraid of electricity. So you're, <laughs> you're, saying, you're saying knuckle draggers yeah. don't actually drag their knuckles? <laughs> it's not, yeah. And that, what is they're this? very they're very nice because they come up and they kind of poke. They speak so hell. Hello. Oh, you know, do you hate gay people? You know, and then you look. But most are pretty cool about yeah. it, and, and and all that. And there's and, and, a little and, and, secret world of, of conservatives. Out. Well, it's a testament. Oh, for sure, it's, yeah. it's a testament to the bubble that we that yeah. we talk about. That we're all in our own little information but, but bubble. I'll, I'll go out to a good red state that votes the way I want, and I'll I'll like give a speech or something. I'm out on the circuit. And, you know, what's it like there in Hollywood? You know, yeah, you know what are they up to? Is it as bad as we think? Because they all imagine it's like Keith Richards is like yeah. raping a bunch of 17-year-olds covered in cocaine and, yeah. you know, saluting the Russian flag all day long. Yeah. So Only neither side really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. He wishes he had that kind of energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I work, look, I work at a company that's headquartered in New York, and I walk around the offices of AMC Networks, and there's there's guys with Trump shit in their office. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not. It's yeah. not that bizarro. No, it, it's not. And, and Although I, in New York, to be fair, almost no one supported that guy. I yeah, think well, the, the stat, no one who knew him supported. Well, him. that's why they didn't. Yeah, I think the the stat was in the five in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, Queens, Manhattan, the five boroughs. Uh, one in nine voted for Trump, and when you ask them why did you, what the nine people who didn't, uh, they say because we knew him. Yeah. yeah. That's why yeah. we didn't. You we hear that this guy's a shyster. People in his business a Pe- lot. Yeah. Well, the old man was, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, from Queens and mobbed up to yeah, get yeah, the land. Yeah, yeah, it's, so it's, it, but they had a long history in that city and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. And, and, uh, and strangely, it was racist. Every in single Queens? they wouldn't sell <laughs> to black. It's crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. What, what is into ama- the seventies? That's when they got sued for it. Yeah, seventies. What is amazing is every, and it's a historical anomaly. Every every day he does something that would have destroyed anyone else. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, I mean, as resilient. I mean, look, look yeah. at look at Obama. If Obama take any of the top hundred things that he's done and have Obama do it, and well, that would have been the end of it. Well, part of it is. The, but I want to get back to yeah. I'll wrap up on Radio Free. But yeah, yeah, the shame ray is gone. In the old days, yeah. Yeah. you know, the elites who kind of influenced America on both parties would would tiss tiss something enough, and the shame ray would work, and the, you know, it would it could drive somebody out of office if they really had had, had crimes. Now, yeah, and yeah. I will say, I Clinton will, put up a pretty strong defense. I, the shame <laughs> ray didn't work too well on him, right? But the, the Trump has turned up the offenses much higher, and the shame ray just bounces off him because it's a reality show to him. It's conflicts good. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, Drives it was, ratings. Yeah. Season ender. Okay. I'm going to hit the Supreme Court justice with a chair, you know, right. <laughs> and the pol- the political establishment and the political values of the country have never had a shame ray proof politician before. Yeah. And that's why it's all choked together. But anyway, to wrap up. Yeah. I had a lot of fun for real GP. I get a lot of emails. I think a lot of your listeners listen and vice versa. Yeah. Well, that, and that was the point I was trying to make. It's like, uh, that for, uh, you know, if you only watch MSNBC or listen to MSNBC, or, you don't realize that there's a lot of people that don't, that aren't in your political party 
that just have a different view of the role of government, but they're right. not evil. <laughs> no, no. I, the biggest problem we have in politics now is this construct on both sides that uh, I'm right, you're evil. Yeah. Because yeah. when you think that way, everything you say is a lie, and anything I do to destroy you is is good because I'm fighting evil. Right. As opposed to we disagree, we're all Americans. Why don't we agree the Russians are up to you know bullshit right. here? Yeah. So I put Radio Free GOP on hiatus for a while simply because I got nothing new to say this year. I've been pretty clear what I think. Oh, I dude, I haven't had anything new to say for two years, and I'm yeah. still flogging this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the... Don't say that to the executive yeah. who just picked up your show. I'm talking about this show. I'm you. <laughs> I must admit, I like all the Castro mattress gold furniture <laughs> and dripping riches I see around yeah, here from this drip, little yeah. moneymaker right here. Dripping riches. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let me, Mike... Uh, do I, I feel like there is a tipping point and I want to know if historically you feel the same way. And this is because before, before we came up, started, started the podcast, I was talking about how my family was sort of sixties and seventies, Rock, Rockefeller Republicans. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, supported Jerry. Where'd Ford. you grow up? Where, where was that? Uh, all around, born in Chicago. Right. Then lived in London for seven years. Okay. Uh, then back to New York City. Gotcha. After that, okay. then away to boarding school. Yeah. So if you've ever read the book Angela's Ashes, it was nothing like that. Yeah. It was not like that. <laughs> well to do family, sort yeah. of. You were money, one of the kids <laughs> that got stuck on the island in Lord of the Flies, but before they <laughs> went to the island. Yeah. But I started the chant. <laughs> And, and what that led to was, I think, support generally, maybe not so much from my mom, but in the family all the way up through Bush 41, mm-hmm. which was sort of the remnants of the old yeah. Rockefeller Republicans, I think. Or the old establishment East Coast. Yes, yeah. the, the, the New yeah, England-based yeah, yeah. yeah. power base. The sort of old money New York Wall Street crew. The, yeah. the Thurston Howell went, Republicans. Yes, for sure. And mm-hmm. that my grandfather dressed eerily like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, – my question is, did the Southern strategy, the Haley Barber right. sort of Southern strategy push, I'm going to peg it at around 92, that led to, you know, Gingrich and those guys coming into the House? So the second Southern strategy. Yes, yeah. the second one. But is that the point where thing, things, I feel like that's where things started to shift and I started to look at that party like, I don't know what my family ever saw in these people. Like, this is. Well, it's. So- and, and then it continued on into. Bush 43 and uh, et cetera, and then now into something I don't even know what it is anymore. Well, what to do the incredibly quick history of it, the East Coast kind of old Rockefeller-esque Republicans, you know, we used to have solid Republican New England states. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts would like for Republican sure. senators. For sure. Pretty much dominated the party with some inter-party brawls until 64 when Goldwater and the Western conservatives seized the nomination. Then they win and lost, and there's always a reaction to losing. So then it was kind of this hybrid thing where – And was the it the, that entrenched the mm-hmm. New England crew? It, well, they had been, but their grip was loosening. But it was a coalition, so there right. were different factions. So after Goldwater, then Nixon shows up as kind of a hybrid because he was sophisticated enough in kind of his view and liberal enough on domestic policy to appeal to the Rockefeller Eastern interest. But he was also a Westerner from California, and because he was such an anti-communist, the kind of popular list conservatives thought oh, he's got the right enemy so nixon was able to kind of hold it together and and came up at a time and i of in, of just chaos and madness in in the culture right well as and, that was all happening right there was and that people reaction right and and yeah. people people want that and i and i think that mm-hmm. that's a that there's an element of of that in in the projection onto trump and the, and the way that trump is a rorschach for people um Oh, definitely. There's, the world is changing so drastically, so quickly yeah. now. 
um, that uh, no, people he's a just protest you, people or want a, a and people want a quote strong man to just protect them and to make things safe. But because things are changing so incredibly quickly. Yeah, look, whenever in the culture, whenever those people should move to Turkey. Yeah, when, they whenever, do that there. <laughs> whenever there's disorder, you know, a lot of people go for order. People don't like chaos. But to wrap up your um, and they see Trump as a icon of strength and order. It's yeah. all crazy. I'm from Phoenix, or I spent my formative years in Phoenix, and I and and uh, and I would always say that that is that Phoenix is the second worst place in the world, or <laughs> and 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 only to to Florida, like Florida is the only state in the union where I have a rule and where I must be getting paid if I go to Florida. Uh-huh. I would never <laughs> go to the beach or go to Miami. <laughs> On vacation, like, I'm not going to go to Florida and leave with I less have, money. I have to be getting paid. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I suppose, but I never really end up. I drive through Alabama a lot, but mm-hmm. we don't play in Alabama a lot. So, uh, yeah, is there? I don't even. I honestly don't know. Uh, now, this is this is a perfect example of just like elite. And this is an elitism. I've been to many of our states, and they're all lovely. And 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 you and I have, you know. We were, we were talking about this before the podcast. The, the most interesting aspects of the conversation always happen before we're recording. <laughs> um, I have a certain set of sociocultural and political beliefs, but I am also acutely aware that not everyone in the country shares my beliefs right. and that we all have to find a way to get along. But there is a limit, and there are people that exceed – <laughs> that limit. And those are the people to which I go, dude, I don't know what goddamn planet you're on. And that's upper panhandle Florida into Alabama and stuff like that. I just, and a lot of it goes back to the Bible. The, indeed. And the, uh, yeah, I drive through the, I drive the through the entire is, country. The, the, the Bible is the user's manual found in the glove box of every ding dong. <laughs> My theory for a long time is that nobody really believes in God. But if you can use it to your advantage, sure. then then uh, then you will. And and you know a lot of people used uh God uh as an example, you know, they they were pro segregation because of God. They hate it. You know, it's God is the best excuse to hate people. And, you know, Kevin Rooney uh, said that, you know, religion was invented because a monkey dropped a coconut. You know, a monkey found a great coconut, was bringing it home, and there was a thunderclap, and he freaked out and dropped it down. If there is a supreme being, he's not as interactive as we'd like to think. (laughs) (laughs) Or he's a real fuckhole, (laughs) because I don't know if you've looked around lately. The... uh, uh yeah, I, I spend. I drive. You know, a lot of times on on, on my tours, I'll, I'll I'll fly down to Los Angeles. I'll pick up the van and the gear, and I'll drive out to somewhere where the tour begins. The band will all fly into St. Louis, for instance, or something like that, Austin, Texas. So I will be. I'll spend a lot of time, or I'll stop at truck stops often, mm-hmm. and uh, my practice is just not to say anything, but to be. But you can be totally aware of of uh, 
that that I am not like these people at all. Sure. Well, you don't look like a truck. You don't look like a truck driver. No. Uh, uh, and you look a little like coaches. <laughs> well, and I get that sometimes too. Like uh, uh, in Oklahoma or in the within the last year, anyway, I got uh, some truck drivers called me Pocahontas. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh, Pocahontas was a woman. First of all, <laughs> and then he invited me to eat shit, which I yeah. did not do. Yeah. Oh, really? He wasn't. He wasn't affable. No. 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 <laughs> oh, that surprised me. I actually thought it would go. It would have gone the other way. And we kissed for a while. Yeah. 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 Well, you know that we all know. We all know what he's running away from. That's not even. But, uh, I'm not uh, um, physically intimidating to those type of people. Maybe, but uh, but uh, I'm. Spooky, fairly enough. creepy looking and yeah. uh, menacing, probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, so I don't get uh, I don't get fucked with at these places. Yeah. But I'm sure that when I leave, there's other great laughter or uh, yeah, maybe relief. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, yeah, it 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 really is a different world. It's a it's a different it's a different planet. Now, you were you were telling me something earlier that I wanted to Phoenix. And you're kind of a, uh, I, I found this interesting, you sort of a gothy kid or uh, you, you have a very dark <clears throat> sort of uh, sensibility, it, as do I, which I think is why we're friends. But Janet Varney is from Tucson. Right. And she also was kind of, grew up kind of gothy, which it, I think it's interesting because you're just in the middle of the desert and Janet's this blonde, you know, Janet looks like an eagle and an apple pie got married and had a baby on a flag. You know? The, uh, uh, it got the more of a, more in a, uh, a cramps kind of way than, yeah, fun than, goth. than a, than a cure kind of way. Sure. You know? Um, I don't know about fun, but, um, the, uh, definitely fascinated, uh, always been fascinated with serial killers and sure. And uh, and the darker uh, side of thing, not, not or as like, I would call it, normal nor- stuff. Normal stuff. The uh, <laughs> famous monsters. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, which is you know, well, we have a lot of a common in that way, like just you know, horror movies, and 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 I spent, like I said, I spent my formative years in Phoenix. I think I moved there when I was fifteen or sixteen years old, but before that, I was. Uh, military brats so we lived sort of all over the world oh, okay and when i was nine and ten we were stationed at uh, um, uh, kaneohe air force base in in hawaii oh okay and i think we lived like three blocks from the beach and even as a nine-year-old i never went to the beach of my own accord it's <laughs> hilarious and, <laughs> i met nine years old cup of coffee yeah, well, pacing around the backyard yeah never been a never been a fan of fun in the sun uh huh. And, and that's mostly, you know, when I ended up in Phoenix, that's why I moved to Seattle because I wanted to be in the opposite of Phoenix. Right. That's not uncommon. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I grew up in a little gray mill town and I wanted to live in California. I never even went to New York. I went straight to California. Straight. The, uh, so yeah, even uh, never went to the beach even as a kid. And I, I think the only times I've ever gone to the beach was under protest or perhaps at night. I would go at night, uh-huh. uh, and uh, it's just. Some- but see, that's what I love about the Beach Boys as music was knowing that they came from such a dark, horrible, gothic <laughs> place that only only an abuse victim could write. 
fun, 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 and just, and sing it so unironically because they're really they're not celebrating it; they're begging for it. <laughs> you know, and, and I was never really a fan of the band until I learned more about them, and then I realized that these were all screams of terror. Yes, out of the box. exactly. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, it's it, it's it's you know the, it's the daydreams of a guy in solitary confinement. It, yeah, it's just great. And yeah, so the more the more I learn about them, the more I like them. But uh, uh, yeah, on 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 paper, as a kid, I, I would have to file them under things that I weren't I wasn't interested in. Yeah. But, uh, the Beach Boys aren't. The Beach Boys are uh, are, are really entertaining, uh, but the more you know about them, they, then they become great. The the more you learn, like, oh, yeah, this guy's deaf in one ear because his dad hit him on the side of the head with a board. Now I'm interested. And 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 true con- uh, and t- t- to uh, as a confession, I really learned um i really didn't start learning about the beach boys till after i watched walk hard sure and i was fascinated with that period of parody in the film mm-hmm. should i call that a film yeah film okay it's a film <laughs> and then so then i started reading about mm-hmm. uh, wilson and uh yeah and it's fascinating yeah it is it's it, it's completely fa- it's 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 really fascinating and then i saw him at the uh, star seeds cafe in austin texas um brian brian uh during South by Southwest, and he was eating scrambled eggs with his hands, and I thought that was interesting. That sounds like Brian. <laughs> uh, I know a friend of mine. Uh, we, uh, I've never met him. I do not know him, but we have friends in common. And uh, a friend of mine really wanted to have dinner with Brian Wilson, and our mutual friend said, okay. And uh, he went and had dinner, and the only thing Brian said to my friend the entire meal was, can I have a bite of your steak? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Politics. Yeah. No, but, tell but, me but the anyway, historical... so to get to. So then Nixon sees the conservative white segregationist South blowing up. Because originally the Republicans were all the civil rights moderates down there. You know, President H.W. Bush ran as a civil rights moderate congressman once mm-hmm. upon a time in Texas. And so, but the populist issues of was law his and dad, order. Was Prescott a like Democrat that, or a Republican? He was a Republican senator from Connecticut. Connecticut. Part right. of the wing you were talking about. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's so, why I asked. He was an investment banker. They in the '68 election. This is a great book by Kevin Phillips about all this. Uh, who's a good demographer and historian of all this. They started to reconstruct, and we started winning southern states, and everything kind of flipped. And then you had more and more kind of white populism in the Republican Party, at least as part of the coalition, particularly social conservatives. We would get pro-lifers, Southern Baptists. Where are we now? Second term Nixon? Where are we? Yeah, no, this? no. Now, now we're, the McGovern thing was a layup because the Democrats went crazy. Right. And so, you know. We, we, Thank like, God we'll so never what, do that again. Where are you talking? Where, um, where are we now? Reagan. The okay. Reagan coalition in 1980. Okay. Again, the Westerners, kind of an improved version of Goldwater. But the, the Eastern Republican thing was declining, but it was still around, and we had a pretty big coalition, and Reagan kept it together because the gospel of it was essentially a positive view of make the country better. He was tough on the Soviets. He believed in the social conservative stuff. He was pro-life. We built a coalition, just like FDR did, because when you build mm-hmm. a big coalition, guess what? You govern. The only time the Dems really did well in the 70s was when they figured out if we can get Southern white Protestants, we can undercut the new power of the Republicans in the South. So Jimmy Carter. And then they did it again with Bill Clinton. That's always their best demographic candidate. Yeah, what they like to do is nominate a Michael Dukakis, somebody from within their world. Anyway, so what then happened is we had kind of after George W. Bush, 
all these economic changes coming with technology. We had an unpopular war. We had Republican fatigue. And this populism that you could see, we would knock it down in the party, like in the Buchanan years in the early 90s. But it's about trade. It's about manufacturing jobs. We got this protest inside the party of enough of you guys hanging around bars with lobbyists in D.C.s running the House. You're not doing anything. You're not being tough enough, believe it or not, on Obama. And we want somebody from outside the D.C. swamp, to coin a phrase, to come in and sweep it all clean. So this guy shows up who's been on prime time for 10 years showing Gary Busey how to work a snow cone machine. But he's famous as Mr. Can Do. The big thing people liked about him was art of the deal. He can get it done, and it's not part of that thing. So how bad can it be? And even though he acts like a clown in a fright wig, he is super rich, so there's got to be something there. You know, the mythology. Now, we there's, all know... There's the fault in the logic. Yeah. Yeah. If, there. if he had put the inheritance <laughs> into an index fund, he'd be a lot richer. You know, he's right. kind of an exactly idiot, actually. Right. But, exactly right. But, it, you know, again, we, we've had pop culture take over politics. And the interesting thing, the showbiz corollary, is the country's so big now, and you have to kind of have a lot going. You can't just come out of nowhere. It's much harder. You're a pre-aware title. So you had Hillary, who's a pre-aware title, like Iron Man 6, except it was right. Corruption 6, more Clintons. <laughs> right. And you had Trump's pre-aware yeah. title, which was Clean It Out, Fix right. It, Strength, Can Do. Remember, people like to vote for what they think they did not get the last time. So, you know, you had... To argue so smart black guy. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, no, you, exactly. you, 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 can, you can take exactly. it back to Bill Clinton. We got dignity. Let's yeah. get rid of that. You had George... <laughs> H.W. Uh, Bush, a man I work for and greatly admire, but like he's right. looking at Absolutely. the watch during the debate and everything, mm-hmm. doesn't get the middle class, even he, the and checkout even, scanner. And even he was, uh, you know, kinder, gentler America. He was sort of like, I'm not as hard as Reagan. Yeah. He, he had to just. Well, he, he went back to that bit. East well, Coast he's, kind of yeah. exactly. I mean, Thurston Howell. For, Texas yeah. Schmexis, that family yeah. was from Connecticut. They yeah, were yeah. all old money Brown Brothers Harriman sure. investment yeah. bankers. Uh, you know, he went to Andover and then went to yeah. Yale. HW yeah. is so, to me, was the. Jethro, the, of the last family. gasp. But yeah, and then, that but then world. volunteered to, you know, get in the Navy, got shot yeah, down. Out of high school. Arrest. Yeah, yeah, out of high school. Um, that, that sense of obligation. But anyway, to quickly do the chain with kind of simplified public perception, but you had, he didn't get the middle class. So then we got Bill Clinton, w- one foot in the trailer park. He, he's you know, plain yep. as us. And then Clinton's all of a sudden it's Plato's retreat in the Oval Office. So you get George <laughs> W. Bush. I'm going to bring honor and dignity back. And then we get on popular war and they think this guy talks funny. He's stupid. So we need a genius. So then we went and got the law professor, uh, the brilliant speaker, the erudite, finally high SATs and, you know, which is kind of, yeah. I think Bush gets underrated, but you know, we got the genius Obama, but what was the rap on him? Too weak. This is a president of the United States who got rolled by the International Olympic Committee. And so <laughs> when you have the two-week guy, what's the new opposite? Get the hammer. Right. He fired Gilbert Godfrey. This guy doesn't screw around. I've seen him on TV. That'll show you. And so here we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a hell of a way to run a hyperpower. But, but it's part so, of it, it is our culture merging politics and It's interesting culture. that it's the... It seems like the underlying... So what, what actually... So the answer to my question is the underlying... What was always in the party... Just got stronger. Well, to the, basically say, like, we're sick of you guys yeah, doing the, this. What, what Trump has done is this populism, which is concerning to a lot of us. Some of us are more public like me because I'm like a retired general, so I can shoot my mouth off and be troublesome. I, I still work a lot in issue management and everything, but I don't do direct campaigns. And so we know we've always been a free trade party. We've always been a, a, 
economic growth, rise everybody up party. We've always been an internationalist party that believed in the Atlantic agenda. And the big heartbreaker for all of us, all, you know, 48 of the, these kind of people who think about this stuff is when Trump sank the Trans-Pacific Partnership, yeah. which the left and the right hated as a bad trade deal for China. Well, one, China's not in it. Two, it's a political deal to align a block against China. Against China. So, so we could yeah. walk in there with some yeah. heft. And, and he blew the franchise there. So now what are they all doing? If you're the Australian foreign minister, better learn Chinese. Yep, you know, right. we're, we're, we, we screwed ourselves, and so and why did he do that? Because he's a demagogue, and that's where right. the votes were. And Bernie right. was in the same place, and Hillary lost her nerve right. on it too because they were right. all pandering to voters, right? Uh, which is you know the disease of our democracy. So it is. I'm not sure it's going to change forever. I think we might have the anti-Trump now come along. If I were Mitt Romney, I'd uh, I'd you know keep uh, keeping the sun lamp, but. And if you really follow the sports of this, there's a beautiful uh, cock blocking going on there now, mm-hmm. which is that the senator from Utah, Orrin Hatch, just turned a million and six. <laughs> and uh, he wants to retire and Mitt Romney wants to run for the Senate in Utah and would win. And Donald Trump does not want Mitt Romney in the Senate. He doesn't want Mitt Romney to have a growing power base in Washington. So suddenly Donald Trump is flying Orrin Hatch all around the world on Air Force One. My good friend Orrin Hatch, you should run again. Uh, I'm in the middle of some of this, so I have absolutely Uh, no comment. But Is what I said completely wrong, or is there a grain of truth in it somewhere? Let's put it this way. Orrin Hatch, Hatch, by the way, Ted Kennedy's best friend. Yeah, Orrin Hatch is a very nice guy and likes to write songs. He's going to beat the Steve Allen record in a minute now. Yeah, he's constantly (laughs) writing songs. Um, So Orrin Hatch is trying to decide if he wants to run for Uh re-election. He is is a very old and wise senator. Sure, he's uh, he's, They're going to put him in charge of the Jurassic Committee pretty soon. (laughs) Uh, And he's deciding, and he may not run. Uh And there's a lot of people in Utah, including a lot of Hatch supporters, including, I think, if he doesn't run Hatch, though I don't speak for him, Uh that think it would be great if Mitt would serve. And then I think Mitt is evaluating this, trying to decide if he wants to be a senator. Right. So there's a lot of stuff kind of floating around in January. He would be be very bored. Well, but you're right about Trump. You're right about yeah. Trump. Trump does not want uh, yes. Romney to have a power base in Washington, yeah. and they don't want him as uh, somebody because because Romney won't toe the line on Trump. Well, no, it's not, not just at all. that. Yeah. He would go out there and say, and he would beat the "I told you about the Russians" thing to death. Yeah. Yes, if he and comes you know back what? In campaigns and he again, was right. Well, that Romney. clip of him saying, "Our greatest enemy is the yeah. is Russia." Right. He'd run yeah. that thing. No, no, no. Romney nauseum. I've worked for Mitt. I ran his race. By the way, let me in, let me uh, say this: as, right on Putin. Yeah. Right on Trump, you know, and mm-hmm. we Republicans would say right on Obama. So yeah. he, he's got a good bumper sticker. By the way, he would be up. And he was right about that. And, and I was wrong. Anti-Trump argument. Mm-hmm. A legit rich guy. Like oh, yeah. that, that firm. Made the money. Yeah. 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 No yeah. joking in Hoboken. Yeah. They yeah. made a ton of dough and yeah. he was not screwing around. He was one of the founders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I tell he's you, he's a real having, rich having guy. Worked that for firm, those guys are hitters. He, he's a friend of mine. Ideologically, you might agree. He's also Elliot Ness. I mean, he's he is he's that straight up. He is straight as a damn arrow. And so he's like Bobby three sticks. (laughs) He's so much the anti-Trump. So we'll see what happens. Does he wear magic space underwear? Interesting. I think he has to. I think we call that a religious smear in this country, (laughs) Mr. Gould. So how did you end up from your military brat and then you end up in Phoenix? Yeah. 
And how did you, what happened in between moving to, you moved to Seattle just to get out of Phoenix? Yeah. I mean, once, how did you end up driving Dave Alvin in a van? That's what I want to know. That, that is, uh, like I sort of was, like I said, I played in, in, in a bunch of bands. I was always, uh, although I was, um, uh, I was always in charge, even though I, even if I was unskilled, I think I just learned how to be a tour manager by being one without knowing about it. It's not that you found the job, it's that the job found you. Yeah, I just always, I was always a tour manager. I didn't even realize it, you know, like, you know, before I knew there was such a thing as per diems, uh, I gave everyone $3 for cigarettes every day. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't know that it had a name or that, that I had a job title, but uh, right. I was uh, playing in the dwarves. And I had just turned thirty, and I sort of looked at my musical resume, and I and I had done everything that I wanted to do. I had uh, I had uh, toured the world, and I made some records, and and uh, and uh, I decided then it's like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna seek out other means of employment. Uh-huh. And I got. Uh, did you go to college? I did not. Mm-hmm. Not one second of higher education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The uh, uh, so I had some friends in a band called the Super Suckers, yeah, sure. and, and I had been uh, clean and sober for a couple of years at this point, and I actually joined the Dwarves straight out of treatment center. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a recommended way to stay clean and sober, but yeah. it worked for me. Going, yeah, and and treatment center, you didn't you uh, your your drugs of choice were not just. Your drugs didn't just come out of a bottle. No, no, uh, heroin is my was and is my favorite to this day. <laughs> right now, let me ask you a question. Yes, heroin is it addictive? I hear they're <laughs> yeah. still doing studies on it, but uh, I mean, and that's what your book is about, which I want, which I want to get to. But let's follow this thread and then we'll circle back. So the uh, I had been on tour with the Dwarves for a couple of years and and clean sober guy in, 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 in chaotic situations. So, so my friends in the, uh, super suckers, they had a, uh, they had a guy in their band who was struggling with this, with the same problem. So they said, you know, they asked me if I would, uh, after I got done with my last dwarves tour, they asked me if I would, uh, come along with them on tour and just hang out and, and, uh, show them how it's done mm-hmm. basically. And, uh, so I got back and I went, uh, to San Francisco, and I went to the Cow Palace to see uh, the WWF at the time, the wrestling match at the thing. And, and this is, um, like I was saying, there this would have been uh, two thousand. Um, I mean, nineteen ninety four, okay. and uh, um, they, uh, you know, people in their uh, people in their reflective moments in, in late at night. You know, maybe they're considering their lives and often ask the question, like, where did your life go wrong? Mm-hmm. And I am lucky enough to know exactly where my life went wrong. And where was that? That was that night at the Cow Palace. Because? Because I had the offer to go out on tour with the Super Suckers. And then I went and I saw The Undertaker versus The Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> and I That's thought, a very historical match. For a moment, that what I should do is manage wrestlers. <laughs> what about what about that what about that ba- match made you think 
these guys are improperly managed. Uh, well, no, it wasn't that. It was just that it, this. It, I uh, just seeing the Undertaker and at the time his signature move was you know he would you know he would be laid out on the on the mat and he would sit up like Jason from Friday the Thirteenth right. you know and it was like and and I said I need to be a part of this I can help <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's fantastic. And, and at the time, and and I, and I was like I said, I just turned thirty. I knew I could walk down to the ring and find somebody and charm the pants off of them. And even if I was just setting up, even if I was just setting up rings or sweeping the floor for a little while, eventually I would be managing a wrestler. Uh-huh. But instead, I chose to take the easy path and go off with the super suckers and eventually become their road manager. Uh, and I'd say that is exactly where life went down the skids for me. You're already clean and sober. Yes. You've managed to do the Herculean task of getting off heroin. Correct. And then your life gets bad. (laughs) And your life gets bad because you didn't go into professional wrestling. That's my theory. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you know, I have it pretty good now, Uh (laughs) but I just suspect it could have been so much better. Uh huh. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, I would argue that I would much rather hang out with Dave Alvin than The Undertaker. Well, to each his own. <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone, was it you who said this to me? If, if it wasn't, yeah, you said this to me. It was like, I was talking to somebody today and I said, uh, uh, beautiful day, isn't it? No, I don't know who said it. It was, like, it was talking to somebody that said, uh, uh, a beautiful day. And they said, everyone's entitled to their opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, if you like this kind of thing, sure. That, <laughs> that would be mine. Um, um, that, that, that's, uh, that, that's fascinating in that um, – so you, you, you think that you would have had a better time in, in the WWE? No, I'm just fucking around. I, I've – you know – as as many uh, as as lucky as I've been in my life, and, and really I've got to do everything that I wanted to do, and mm-hmm. and and uh, 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 you know, but as a, as a kid, if I would have written down the four things I wanted to do in my life, it would have been uh, make a record, go on tour, write a book, marry Elvira, and uh-huh. so three out of four is not bad. You, I think you can still. I think the fourth is still open too. I, I think the fourth you can. It might be a bank shot, but I think she, she's single. She will not return my calls. <laughs> <laughs> she was just at Not Scary Farm on her, her last Halloween. I, I can, I, let me work this. Okay, I appreciate that. You're talking to you're talking to one of the few people that can actually possibly make this happen. Um, it's too late for Vampira, so. <laughs> yes, trust me, I can tell you that firsthand. <laughs> It's coming. Here it comes. It's intermission time. Time to visit our concession stand. Welcome to Political Talk with two guys from Boston. A working man's look at the socio-political issues of our day. And now, Political Talk with two guys from Boston. This is Political Talk with two guys from Boston. I'm Johnny Condon. Robbie Sullivan here. Good morning. It's been a while, but yeah. I've been thinking this through. 
Hugh Hefner died a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah. We're still feeling the after effects. Oh, it, it hit you hard at first. It, you know, you go into denial. Yeah. You want a smoking jacket? You want a, you want, you want a, you want a quadraphonic stereo and you oh, want to, you, you want to ask Lee Marvin 20 questions. <laughs> well, and Bill Cosby, for God's sakes, he was the cool one back then. He was, and that's how you know that Hugh Hefner was up to, was never up to any bad. He was hanging out with Bill Cosby. Yeah, not the, he must have oh, been having <laughs> But you know, you know how they say when somebody dies, they go, "He's in a better place." Yeah, I don't know if Hugh Hefner is in a better place. Well, he loved it here, being the only judge in a sixty-five-year-long blowjob competition. <laughs> that's a pretty good place. <laughs> I wonder if he went up to heaven and hey, welcome to heaven, Hugh. And he's like, hey, nice to see you. I think I'd just like to get my dick sucked in a Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not so big on the ick day yucking say up around here. And, we get you a Pepsi, though. Yeah, I'll get you a Pepsi and a harp lesson. How about that? <laughs> it's going to work out fine. Yeah, I have a feeling that Hugh is up there giving a lot of exasper- exasperated sign. <sighs> yeah. This is all this is? Hanging out with Lenny Bruce going, it was more fun down there. But you know what? I don't think he could have even like lived in New England. Like, no. That guy only- had celebrities and all of it. Because in New England, people would have just been like, you can't go over there. I try to No imagine- one's allowed in that fence. I imagine him dead. And I imagine him having sex for the last time, and it's the same face. <laughs> imagine. That's rough. I think, yeah. you know that that I deal will never, was, I will the never people that see. bought his house, yeah, he yeah, yeah. came along with it. So that's who killed him. They bought his house. It's a whole conspiracy. They bought his house with a caveat that you can live in it until you die. Yeah. So I'm he wondering gets to live like, here, but you buy it. So like they're buying furniture. Get a year later. They're buying furniture and measuring drapes. And he's like, what, do you, what, what have you heard? What have you heard? Nothing. Nothing. Well, do you know what a reverse mortgage is? Yeah, I mean, when you come down to breakfast and Hugh's sitting there <laughs> with his smoking jacket and he forgets where he is, and he's like, what are you doing in my house? Still alive? Yeah. Still, oh, still alive. Oh, that's right. You bought yeah. the house. Yeah. That's what a reverse... I, I, I wonder if Paul McCartney wakes up every morning, Ringo dead? Like, he just wants to... <laughs> he wants <laughs> to win so bad. He wants to be the last Beatle. He wants to be the last Beatle. At that point, are you just kind of a bug in a cup and people are pushing you around? <laughs> You know, you just you're, you're you're not really a beetle anymore. You're a bug in a cup. They're all dead. You're next. That is a terrible feeling. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one beetle left to go, and it's me. And it's me, and I can't get out of this coffee. It's cup. just you and three cloaked figures with sides. <laughs> and that was maybe you know they got to be beetles here in life, but afterlife. Maybe that's it. Some little six-year-old has you in a cup with a napkin on top of it. You're his pet. Oh, that's a beautiful expression. I'm about as happy as a bug in a cup. (laughs) I know it's over unless this thing gets turned over. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm a turtle on its back in the sun. That's what it is. Just wait. Exactly that. There's got to be a hundred of those. I always watch Perry Mason on MeTV. I love love, you know. I love watch because Perry Mason is everybody on another show that you ever saw. They're always on Perry Mason as a criminal or a, or a MacGuffin. It's like leaning into the mic. Yeah, but it's like I'm not. <laughs> it's I don't know who killed the secretary. It's either Doctor McCoy from Star Trek or Mister Tate from Bewitched. <laughs> I'm not sure wonderful. who did it, but one of them is guilty. Oh, that's great. And and all the commercials because it's me TV, so it's all commercials for old people. So it's like the walk-in bathtub or, a, or yeah, the clap stuff. of the walk-in the tub coming down the thing. Yeah, or the the ID. I fell. Oh yeah, I fell. That's the best. But there's the uh, the, the reverse mortgage is is the weird one. The one the re- that rips the people off. Well, it's I guess it's old people sell their house to yeah. a bank. 
Until you die. Until you die. Now no one gets it. And then, yeah, and then, and then the bank owns it. So it's, would you love your last seven years with some money in your pocket? But it's, it's always like, it would, if you didn't die, the bank would eventually kill you. They just take it. (laughs) They would just send somebody over to strangle you. We're taking the house now. You ran out of time here. Yeah. I wonder if they got healthy. If you lived to 150. When you gave me that money, I went and got nutritionalists and I started jogging and I started swimming and now I'm healthy. I'm going to live to 107, they said. If you, if you got to leave the house though. Yeah. Get you an apartment. If you get to about 140, they just send somebody over there to beat you (laughs) to death with a bag of potatoes. Hey, mom, there's someone at the door. Yeah, I wouldn't want to feel like. I mean, that's that's the definition. That's the definition. You of, have sold your you, good years. You are literally away. living on borrowed time. Yeah, you are literally living on borrowed yeah. time. Everything I, you once owned is now ours. Yeah. In fact, we are sick of you. And they always make it seem like such a wonderful. You're the old people. Well, they even so bring in like happily, it's not Brimley, but it's one of those guys. They yeah, bring in a familiar some face. old guy. Yeah. Oh, you know who it was? The presidential candidate that did one of them. Uh, the guy. Uh, what's Freaking name. Bob Dole? No, no, no. Uh, but same, similar uh, era. But there mm. was like one of the guys. I know who, I can picture his face, but he was like a senator. Oh, I know who you're talking about. He, he was also an actor. Yes, yes, that he was guy, also an actor. That yeah. guy. Yeah. Whatever. We got to talk like this. Yeah, talk like this. He did an ad that was yeah. basically like, "All right, I didn't become your president, but let me teach you how to get ripped off." In yeah, lady I did not become your president, but let me tell you how you can sell your <laughs> sell your serenity to Wells Fargo. If you can get a hold of your parents' documents, we can work with you. <laughs> can you forge your mother's signature? <laughs> it's, it's like to talk to you. It really felt like that. It's like, do you, the people above you, the people you, the people that you love that are older than you in your family, are they having a hard time? <laughs> and you, do you look at the people who are older in your family the way a lion looks at a guy in a safari hat and he turns into a giant drumstick? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know they're coming. Oh man, getting close. There's family members who are not doing well. Yeah, still driving a '79 Subaru. <laughs> And they're going, when does Aunt Tilly leave? I don't they, know. Maybe we should freaking figure this out. The, you are surrounded by sources of income that yeah. you are not even taking advantage Hi, of. Aunt Tilly, I just called the phone company and told them I could pay by the 24th. How much time do you have left? <laughs> Selling your soul to a bank. Oh, it's grim. It's tough it's grim. stuff. But if you think about this, you know, one of the most positive things about old people getting ripped off do you know you can eat your relatives (laughs) well what about have you ever gotten one of these emails it's like i'm so sorry to bother you with this but i've i'm now in london or oh sure i lost all my luggage yeah and i need you to send me a check because i know you love me but it starts out with like i like the first thing they say is how have you been does anybody ever does has anyone ever believed that has anyone ever responded to a junk email. Has anyone ever responded to one of those? Yeah, hello? Five, four, three, <laughs> Hello? It's like, it's like, does it, point, has anyone what? ever responded? All I can ever. think is the only people who they end up talking to are the people who, when they go to pick up their phone, they're fumbling with it for like oh, five minutes and then I, they're like, hello? If I'm, I'm like, oh, I got you. See, I get angry. I, here's what I do. I get angry when they call. Yeah. And you again, and that's line, my, you know it's no one. And that's you know it's no one. And that's also my problem. I'm angry at a computer. <laughs> a computer randomly dialed is torturing yeah, you. Some person who, you know, can barely afford a Snickers yeah. is making these poor calls sitting there in their one pair of good pair of pants. Yeah. And, and because landlines are no longer a thing. Yeah. If you go to Best Buy, they have two phones. One of them goes like this, bring, 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 and the yeah. other one goes like this. Fuck you. Yeah. 
Like, eat my shit. Literally. Eat yeah. my shit. It's the worst. They're the worst rings. They're not real phones anymore. They don't have yeah. like five models. There's two different crappy ones because it's over. No yes. one gets landlines. It's all awful. And uh, so what I do is when they call, I will, hello. I'll do a little <laughs> skit. I'll do a little skit. I'll go, Hi, I'm learning how to play the trumpet. <laughs> oh, nice. And just keep them going. I, and, and just keep them on the phone. And the way I've, my hope is. If I waste enough of their time, they will waste others. They will say, don't call this number. They'll just waste your time. Or they put me in the other thing. Like, do you know that giraffes are getting sexually molested in zoos all over the country? <laughs> oh, now I got to worry about them. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a very strange one. I've never heard that particular oh, thing. Oh, it happens because they're, they're. I don't like picturing it. They're not looking. Yeah. They're, 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 they're very tall. One thing you got to say about giraffes, they get their eyes on the spur. They get eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize, and that's leaves. <laughs> eyes on the <laughs> that's yeah. all it is. It's easy to keep your eyes on the prize when all the prizes is, is leaves. And they're very high because they're reaching <laughs> for the sun, those leaves. Oh, Lord. The sun leaves for a giraffe. Uh, yeah, it, 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 and uh, there, there is that weird feeling, you know, with all, you know, especially because, you know, we're always going in these apartments, fixing heaters and stuff like they, they, all people, they know more than you. They've experienced more than you. Yeah. We give them no respect. They're just in the way. Yeah. And they just watch us make mistakes again. Absolutely. But then there's the tipping point where they start the downward spiral. And they go and they become children again. And, and sometimes the racism floods in. The racism floods in. And you're like, wait a they minute. They all become. You haven't made that mistake in 30 years. They all become. And they all become Republican. Now, there's nothing <laughs> to do. I don't know why this is. There's nothing to do. I'm sure we have a lot of Republican. And I don't mean. Uh, no, no disrespect. No disrespect. If you were born a Republican and you're a Republican now, I got no yeah, problem with you. We love everyone. I love everybody. And also have problems with everyone. I got to love everybody. I got problems with everybody. Well put. Well put. But these people that die hard liberals. It's weird. And and then they 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 just transform and then they transform into republicans as soon as they realize they'll never need uh you know any assistance from welfare yeah. against it or they or or they are but they don't want anybody else to have it right. and i think it's for some reason they all watch fox news yeah. and then you just you know that's what's programmed in they don't even yeah. have the others available to them they just yeah. zone it out i know people i have people in my family who would have to get a bank loan to buy a rocking chair <laughs> <laughs> they would have to. They would have to go down to the fucking credit union, yeah, <laughs> to get a to get a to subscribe to Sparklets. Yes, well, but they are pissed off about the estate tax, right? You know these people that make over twenty. You know that people who make over twenty million dollars a minute have yeah. to pay tax on that money, and they're furious. Yeah, it's but a, if you try to talk to them about any issue, they, they revert back to the words that once were. Like, well, do you know what we called lesbians when you were just a boy? We called them gym teachers. <laughs> Yeah. And they'd just, be like, yeah. you'd be like, that's not good. You can't yeah. say that anymore. Don't say that. That's not yeah. nice to people who are or, gay. Or stuff that not you nice didn't even know. Teachers and, <laughs> what are you doing? No. Yeah. But we, actually, after you look back at it, you go, that she wasn't kidding. That wasn't a joke. And or just man, we call trans women. Hi, how do you do's? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I've yeah. never heard that, but we, I love yeah. it. We call trans women a Mister Misty Kiss. <laughs> no, you didn't. That was an ice cream drink. You know, I think that one of the terms was a confused young person. A confused young person, And that yeah. was as polite as they could be about somebody trying to find the joy in their life here's, based on who they feel they are. Here's my – we have a lot of septuagenarian and octogenarian sure. and nanogenarian yeah, listeners. something. Many of our listeners are that old because they're too confused. When we go into their homes, we set their – we set <laughs> Stitcher on their computer to play our podcast. Totally. And they're too confused to change it. So we know that we have a lot of captive listeners. And here's here's – Here's my advice. If you're furious about 
gay marriage, if you're furious about transgender rights, if you're furious about bathroom rights, if you're furious about liberals coming at you, they're crawling on your house like fire ants. This is what you're thinking about all day long. Yeah. Here's my advice to you. Practice this. Eh. <laughs> let go. Yeah, People, let it go. Guys are, guys are born guys, and they're becoming women and using the ladies' room. <laughs> eh. Eh. Well, and now what? I hope Fine. they're happy. Yeah, I hope God love them. I hope they're happy. God love them. You know, I remember when yeah. I hope they're happy sounded like a terrible thing to say. Can you imagine? Well, I hope they're happy. I hope they're happy. <laughs> you know what? Horses were pissed off when they invented cars. The world were actually they were probably quite. I wonder if horses were pissed off when they invented saddles. Yeah, every yeah yeah. When a horse invented, say like, what is that for me? Yeah. What the fuck is this? Get that shit? thing off. Yeah, I what? never had this before. That's really funny. <laughs> horses deep in their minds, they hate the they're inventor like, of the oh. saddle. Oh no! Yeah, look at these things. And that's what, just prag. Just yeah, it's fine. I'd like that. It's not your job. Yeah. to deal with it. It's not the only. Thing, I didn't cause this. I, I can't this. cure it. I can't cure it. So f- forget it. There's only one thing that never changes. There's always change. Isn't that nice? Yeah. There's only two things I don't care for: the way things are right now, and any kind of change. Political Talk with two guys from Boston. (laughs) They come from miles to enjoy our intermission. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Comet, Cupid, Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall... The most psychologically damaging holiday special of all, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a stop-motion carnival of intolerance which premiered on NBC in 1964, based on the Gene Autry song of 1949, which was in turn based on a children's book from 1939. Rudolph, along with A Charlie Brown Christmas, is one of the most beloved and fondly remembered Christmas specials of all time. But when was the last time you actually watched it? Because when you revisit the show as an adult, it is darker and weirder than a goddamn Fellini film. Rudolph tells the story of Santa's ninth reindeer, who, unlike the other reindeer on Santa's team, suffers a birth defect. His nose glows. But, since this is Christmas Town, after all, dedicated to sharing and caring and goodwill towards men, one would guess that everyone is kind and understanding. No. He's got a shiny nose. Well, we'll simply have to overlook it. Now, how can you overlook that? Nice. Well, his parents may think he's a freak, but certainly Santa Claus will understand. After all, he is a saint, right? Saint Nick? Great bouncing iceberg. Now, I'm sure it'll stop as soon as he grows up, Santa. Well, let's hope so if he wants to make the sleigh team someday. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't want someone with a birth defect working for me. I guess you have to be genetically flawless if you're going to drag my fat ass around the globe in a toy-laden sleigh. But that's just the start of it. Eventually, Rudolph's father makes him wear a fake nose to hide his real one. I don't want to. Daddy, I don't like it. You'll like it and wear it. Oh, but Daddy, it's not very comfortable. There are more important things than comfort. Self-respect. Santa can't object to you now. What a great lesson for children. Hide. 
Hide your shame. You're worse than that wheelchair kid down the street. It sickens me they let him out in public. If he was my son, I'd make him walk. And the other reindeer are no better. Stop calling me names! Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer! Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. That was Santa. You should be ashamed of yourself. How dare you have a child that looks different? Look at you, Donner. You call that a deer penis? I say it's a freak maker. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? Right, right, right. Ugh. Now, where have we heard that level of tolerance before? And I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Eventually, Rudolph hooks up with an elf named Hermie, who is also a misfit. You see, Hermie, it turns out, doesn't want to make toys. He wants to be homosexual. But since it was 1964, they used a subtle code. Someday, I'd like to be a, a dentist. Right. Dentist. Wink, wink. Confirmed bachelor. Dentist. We all know the code words. Well, Hermie and Rudolph get fed up with Santa, the reindeer, and the rest of Christmas Town's bigoted pricks. So they do what any self-respecting mutant and his closeted gay dwarf toy-making companion would do. They hit the road, ending up eventually, or perhaps inevitably, on the island of misfit toys. Now, what Fever Dream produced this segment, we'll never know. But apparently, the network thought it provided a great lesson for kids. If you're different, in any way, you should be punished. Even if it's just something mild. My name is... Don't tell me. Jack. No, Charlie. That's why I'm a misfit toy. Really? Seems kind of harsh. But you do have the wrong name, so maybe you should go live on an island somewhere. You know, like a leper. After enduring this waking nightmare, Rudolph finds himself back home, facing down his tormentors, who present him with an interesting offer. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? You see, there's a terrible storm. A storm so brutal they want to cancel Christmas. But instead, they're just going to stick Rudolph out front. See, that's the best way to apologize to someone after you've exiled them. First out the door on the suicide mission. Now, one may wonder why Rudolph went along with this deal. Here's clinical psychologist Dr. Jeff Gardier. Victims of Stockholm Syndrome develop compassion and loyalty towards their captors. And there you have it. Okay, Rudolph, full power. Flip a coin. According to the law of averages, for every time it comes up heads, it will eventually come up tails. Newton's law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For every Sherlock Holmes, there is a Moriarty. For every James Bond, there is a Blofeld. Or a lesbian. 
For every Batman, the Joker. For every Santa Claus, the Krampus. Yes, the Krampus. Krampus is a mythical beast, the flip side of Santa Claus, or is he? Described as a long-horned, shaggy, goat-like demon with a long, forked tongue. While Santa is famous for keeping a list of all those naughty and nice, and of course, rewarding the nice, the naughty are left to the tender mercies of the Krampus. According to legend, Krampus would give beatings, whip children with horsehair, then kidnap them and take them down to hell to live for a year. Thanks for ratting me out, Santa. Historians are conflicted as to the origins of the Krampus, but they are in general agreement on the broad facts that, like Santa Claus, Krampus predates Christianity and that he most likely owes his origins to Norse traditions and Christian paganism. However, his origins, at least, have nothing to do with Christmas. Instead, they date back to pre-Germanic paganism. His name originates with the German Krampen, which means claw. And the tradition has it that he is the son of the Norse god of the underworld, Hel. That's the fun German language. I love you is Ich liebe dich. During the 12th century, the Catholic Church attempted to banish Krampus celebrations because of his resemblance to the devil. Another attempt at banishing Krampus followed in 1934 at the hands of Austria's conservative Christian Social Party. Who knew wacky politics came out of Austria in the 1930s? But none of those forces held, and Krampus emerged as a much-feared and beloved holiday force. In Austria, you could attend the Perchtenlauf, or Krampus Parade. The modern-day version of the parade resurrects a centuries-old tradition. Young men in town dress up as the mythical creature and parade through the streets in an ancient pagan ritual meant to disperse winter's ghosts. They march around dressed in fur suits and carved wooden masks, carrying cowbells. The tradition is also known as Krampuslauf, or the Krampus Run. Krampuslauf is having a resurgence throughout Austria, Germany, Slovenia, Hungary, and the Czech Republic, and has gained recognition here in the good old U.S. of A. An interesting thing happened this past year regarding the Krampus celebrations in Austria. Officials considered banning the annual Krampus run because Austria has recently taken in refugees from Syria and Afghanistan because they're decent human beings who aren't afraid of their own shadow. Anyway, the local officials were quite justifiably concerned that suddenly having a bunch of drunken Austrians running around the city dressed as goat demons would scare the bejesus out of the local refugees, especially the children. But instead of canceling it, the town officials invited all of the refugee children to a presentation where they showed them the props and the costumes of the Krampus, explained the parade, and invited them to participate. Said one local, I think it's wonderful they want to get the refugees used to this sort of thing. You can't force people to adopt cultural traditions of which they have no basis or point of reference. It's almost like forcing democracy on people with no history of democracy. Krampus is slowly making inroads into culture in North America. In 2004, he was featured prominently in an episode of The Venture Brothers, one of the greatest shows ever. In 2012, it was featured on an episode of The League. And in 2015, he finally broke through in America with his own movie, when Universal Studios released the comedy horror Krampus, starring Adam Scott, Tony Collette, 
and David Keckner, that talented boy from just down the street. And I think I speak for all children everywhere when I say, Oh, Krampus, I love you. Great story if it ends there, right? Well, it doesn't have to for you. Why not go to the library page of com, pick up the film Krampus, or Danny Bland's book, In Case We Die, or any one of a number of things mentioned in this month's episode of the podcast. You can also go to our store at ComedyFilmNerds.com for Dana Gould Hour posters, t-shirts, and, of course, Bevilacqua Heating and Air t-shirts. My album's there, and all sorts of junk. So just go. Thanks. Make sure you get yours and enjoy it now. You know, I think Elvis Presley said it best when he said, What he was really saying was, here comes Santa Claus. Oh, Santa Claus. Always a tricky figure for secular humanists around holiday time. Because although you want to have your beliefs, you also want to imbue your children with a sense of wonder. You always have those awkward conversations. Daddy, who's Santa Claus? Oh, dear, Santa Claus is very important. He lives in the North Pole, and he sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake, and he knows if you've been bad or good, and he has a list of all the little girls and boys all over the world, and he knows who's been naughty, and he knows who's been nice. And on Christmas Eve, he gets in his sleigh with his eight magic flying reindeer, and he flies all over the world, delivering toys to every good boy and every good girl. And he does all of it in one night. And all the presents are there on Christmas morning. That's who Santa Claus is, honey. Well, my friends at school say that we celebrate Christmas because it's Jesus' birthday and Jesus is the only Son of God. I know, sweetheart, but that's more of a a fable, you know, of a myth. You don't want to get hung up in the weeds on that stuff. And even if it is true, one wonders, like so many sweet, innocent children, just who the fuck is Santa Claus? Although everyone knows Santa as a jolly old man with a big fat belly that jiggles when he laughs like a bowl full of jelly, with a long white beard and a red and white fur-lined suit that he wears on the evening of December 24th, when he flies around the world with Eight flying reindeer on Christmas Eve, delivering toys to good little boys and girls all over the world, no matter who or where they are. But this was not always the case. The modern-day image of Santa Claus comes largely from a poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, by Clement Clark Moore, which many people know as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And the final polish on Santa's image came from a very strange source indeed, and we'll get to that in a minute. The origin of Santa Claus goes all the way back to pre-Christian Germany. There was a belief that at a certain time of year, the Yule, the god Odin led what was called the Wild Hunt, which was a distinctly un-Christmassy, ghostly procession through the sky. Odin had a long white beard, but he rode a gray horse through the sky but it was for their traditional end-of-the-year celebrations. From the Netherlands comes the story of St. Nicholas, later shortened to St. Nick, but known at the time by his native name, 
of Santa Claus. According to legend, Santa Claus would arrive, now get this, every year from Spain by a steamboat. He carried gifts of chocolates and spiced nuts for good little boys and girls during a three-week period. Santa Claus dropped his presents down the chimney. That's where we get that. But he did it from a massive gray horse, which he rode across the rooftops. Now, Santa Claus, unlike Santa Claus, not only has treats for the good little boys and girls, but he carries a willow cane to punish the bad ones. That's what modern-day Santa needs, a tool to beat and punish the little boys and girls who've been naughty. In Denmark, around the mid-19th century, we start to see folklore about Tom T., who delivered presents at Christmas time. In Norway and Sweden, the spirit of Tom T. began to overshadow the existing Christmas tradition, which was, at that time, the Yule Goat. But Santa's direct descendant is St. Nicholas. In fact, he is often referred to by that name. In his earliest incarnation, St. Nick, a serious and somber Christian bishop who delivered presents to children on the evening of December 5th, as it was the eve of December 6th, which was St. Nicholas Day. One of my favorite St. Nicholas traditions is that he would find three, count them, three daughters of poor but pious and religiously observant families, and he would give to these three girls a dowry so they wouldn't have to become prostitutes. That's what it says. Hence his original name, St. Nick the Antipimp. The Christmas celebration moved from December 6th to December 24th during the Protestant Reformation and was done so that people could focus their attentions on celebrations more about Jesus Christ than on the saints themselves. That is also when St. Nicholas got his name changed to Santa Claus. Now, as I said before, modern-day Santa imagery was cemented by the poem A Visit from St. Nick, and then in the 1930s, the black leather belt and the fur-lined collar, etc., etc., all came from the holiday advertising of the Coca-Cola Company. So much so that some cynical folks believe that the modern version of Santa Claus was thought to actually have been created by the Coca-Cola Company. Or that Santa only wears red and white because it is the color of a Coke can. Not true. Although it is from this point onward, that Santa that we see. Now, modern-day Santa has starred in many movies and TV specials, where, with a couple of exceptions like Miracle on 34th Street, he's usually portrayed as something of a dick. And never more famously, and previously reported right here on this podcast, than on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Where not only is he grumbling and ungrateful... We are Santa's elves. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. We are Santa's elves. Ho, ho. Hmm. Well, it needs work. I have to go. But also, something of a masterful asshole. In one of that special's more notable head-scratchers, and there are several, he not only rejects Rudolph simply because of his appearance, but then he berates Rudolph's father 
for daring to have a child with a birth defect. Honor, you should be ashamed of yourself. What a pity. He had a nice takeoff, too. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for quality sleep surfaces with the right amount of sink and bounce. Casper mattresses provide all the support the human body needs in all the right places. Breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. They're designed, developed, and assembled right here in America, God's favorite country, and delivered right to your door in a small, how-do-they-do-that-sized box. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial with free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash Dana and using the promo code Dana at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. But you heard that right. $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash Dana and using the promo code Dana at checkout. I did it, but only on the condition that the terms and conditions applied. And you know what? At my insistence, they did. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, on with the show. Mitt, Mitt is Mitt, Mitt's one of the most impressive guys I've met in my career, both as a candidate, but also behind the scenes when well, they come he, he in. He graduated say, the Harvard School of Business and Harvard School of Engineering the same year. Uh, Harvard Lowe, right? Business and Law simultaneously. Yeah, that's not easy. But like He's I no said, idiot. the anti-Trump who yeah. runs around screaming about Wharton yeah. he went to Fordham for two years yeah. out of NEMA, out of New York Military oh, no, Academy. Oh nobody can. And then that. he went to the undergrad part of Penn. That is called Wharton. That right, means right. you were a business major at Penn right, for right, two right. years. Yeah. So stop pretending. But he's the neatest guy in the world. So all this stuff is so manufactured. You it's know, a, that's the, he went that's to Ford, the button he went on to his Fordham, head. buddy. What yeah. can I tell you? Yeah. Nothing wrong with the Jesuit education. And, and what but, is uh, interesting is that what we're not yeah, talking don't about. Don't tell everyone I, you I went to, no, no. to yeah. Wharton. I, I, I'm, I'm a Georgetown guy, so I have <laughs> to get that in. Uh, but no, you're totally right. You're totally right. I said, but what is interesting is I said about Mitt. He's he is actually what he is a hell of a businessman. Like the guy oh, yeah. is a hitter in business. But we're not talking about the Democrats, which is no, we're not. Because we're talking about the they, because because the, the, de- the Democrats now seem. I'm trying to find the analogy. It's almost like the it's like the Republican Party in 1966. We don't know what the hell's going on. Well, but you know the nomination is worth having. So if 200 people are running. Yeah, yeah. but right nobody, the, ex- 200 people and no one excited. Except Al Franken. He's it, the first to go. You know, that was that was surprising and sad. I'm um, not sure he's going to resign, by the way. He might, well, he didn't, I, he might not resign. I, I, I do, did Kristen Gillibrand uh, demand that Trump step down? You know, at her best, she's, uh, 
she's a pioneer in an issue that we got to address because the Congress has been, you know, a lot of hands-on leadership there. Yep. On the other hand, I think she's studying her French Revolution history and has a little mm-hmm. whiff of Jacobin territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still getting crappy. I, I got all this shit from Meet the Press on Twitter. Because, can I tell my Meet the Press Twitter? Please. Yeah. Oh, please. I'm going to lurch. Wait a minute. The- are you telling me that someone on Twitter was... <laughs> is Twitter now being used for political arguments? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And, you know, I don't I'm care. I often it. try to provoke discussion yeah. there. But and but I'm going to shove us into the awkward territory of three white guys talking yeah. about sexual harassment. Right. But it came up on the thing. And I'm sitting there on the round table. And next to me is the esteemed historian, Doris uh, Curtis Goodwin, who's a good person. Mm-hmm. I like her. And Chuck asked her a question and she answers of the appropriate kind of, you know, scolding about how bad things are. And then for some reason, Chuck goes to me and says, so what about Hollywood? You know, boys are really <laughs> oh, different out funny. there. And, you know, but he's trying to give me an yeah. angle because Doris yeah. has handled it. So I make the mistake on Sunday morning television of going for the joke. And I put my hands up like this and I say, oh, it's, it, there's a lot more coming. It's bad. In fact, oh, I'm wearing a straight drink. jacket around town just to be safe. <laughs> Mocking myself, yeah. I thought. Didn't Doris like t- touch your arm Doris, and you were like, Doris, Doris, don't touch me. Doris, who's got a great sense of humor, gave me a big horse laugh and tapped my arm. Right. You know, cause you, and you were like, Doris, don't touch me. And I, and I went for the second joke, yeah. which yeah. is, Doris, I got lawyers. Careful yeah. there, you frisky thing. You know, yeah. Big laugh. It was all fine. But then on Twitter, some women were really offended yeah, that you I can't. made a joke about sexual harassment yeah. in Hollywood. Like, well, I don't take it seriously. Well, yeah, well, that's tough. Uh, that's tough for yeah. them. The, 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 yeah. the sun's going to come out tomorrow. Um, yeah. I started doing Gilbert Godfrey Japanese stuff retweeting. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know there there is uh, and 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 uh, but you know that whole uh, that whole angle has it's a tsunami of awareness and uh i've never seen anything in my life hit like this yeah Um, it's it's only starting yeah well to your point by the way earlier because i wanted to ask you one more thing about mitt Here's something you'll never have a problem with Mitt Romney on. Right. Oh, totally. This I'm, ain't happening. I'm telling you. Or, or his, Barack so Obama. His dad was governor when you, when you were growing up in Michigan? Uh, let's see. I have to uh, – yeah, I wasn't senior. Or he was so running I, I was, I was like a toddler. But no, no. He yeah. was he – was my parents loved American him. They labor Democrats. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Um, Invented the small fuel-efficient car. That's right. And got laughed out of the business that's for right. it. But, you know, saw the future. And uh, my old car. Ran he, for president. Too. And created my old did, car. George Ron. Would you say – Mitt would represent a return, and I keep going back to this, but a, a sort of Bush 41-ish, because you well, know his policies, and I actually yeah, don't. Mitt is more conservative than his dad. Okay. But Mitt, I think, beyond kind of the, the Republican spectrum, he's, he's more in the internationalist, George W. Bush Sr., George Well, yeah, he George, understands George H. the H. planet Bush, as a businessman. He yeah, knows yeah, yeah. the market. He, he's also a massive leap back to something that's generally good in American presidents and a tr- tricky time which is what competence yeah, yeah. knows the world who do you want sitting across from now our chinese dictator for life g trump saying will you please compliment me please am yeah. i pretty i made ties or, or here Mitt romney who might like switch into chinese <laughs> yeah. you know so you know, we're, we're up against a team here's my statistic to send all the listeners home with <laughs> if you are so good at computer science or so good at chemistry, or so good at any intellectual pursuit that you are legitimately super brilliant. You are so brilliant that you are literally one in a million people. There are 1,400 of you in China. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, we've got a guy spraying orange, you know, spray yeah. paint on his hair looking for compliments. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's scary. 
Yeah, the minute uh, they can write a decent joke in English, we're all going to be... We're all done. Yeah, we're working at the Burger King serving no Yankee question. burgers. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, a burger, there's a plenty, yeah. plenty of Burger Kings over there, by the way. Yeah. Um, That's our way to get even with them, because they don't have much of a health care system. Exactly. So our, we're going to fatten them up, just like Americans. Them down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were talking about uh, being a Meet the Press, when they, when they talked about this. Yeah, it, it is... I mean, nobody uh, on Meet the Press, they thought it was funny, but then no, the no, Twitter verse... Oh, no, it's and, funny. And, and, and you know what, it, and I it thought, is all right, if I was offending some women about it, I didn't really mean to, and so my tweet back was, hey, the tougher the issue, the more the joke is needed. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, I'm sorry, but, uh, I, I'm yeah. from the... And this is, again, three writers sitting around yeah. talking about it, but I, I believe the joke wins, and yeah. even if that yeah. joke dies, it was a joke. Yeah, and what are you going to do? you're not allowed to police it. Yeah, no, I have no tolerance for that, and I, you know, and if if their outrage will be over in seven hours, so you'll be fine. Well, luckily, Move somebody else, else will outrage them more. It's, yeah, it, 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 it's just a... So it, let me ask you the Franken question, though, because there's a theory going around that I think if you parse his statement, which was inelegant, there should be an apology, but he was basically saying, I will eventually resign. Look, it's, it's, it's clearly the Democrats need something, and to have a clearer shot at the Republicans, they want to say... We don't tolerate this within our ranks. And over on this side, you've got an admitted yeah. sexual predator in the Oval Office and a uh, a pedophile. It's, yeah. it's like, and I don't care that uh, I, 107 people didn't line up their stories. Yeah. Because of globalists. Yeah. You know, this is, and, and he was banned from a mall. And that's not. A but rumor. <laughs> go go thirty thousand feet for a second, and I want to ask you this strategically because mm-hmm. it's what it's what you do successfully. Positioning yourself as the arbiter of moral rectitude in the business of government seems like a loser to me. It's always in other a words, very risky yeah. if the place. Democrats are going to the place of we're going to kick every one of these guys whoever did no, this I, yeah. out of the building, you're going to have an empty building. I think this is. I don't. But think you're going to be able doing. to stand on well, the morality of only having two people I, on your I, side. No, what I think it. what I think they're doing is trying to go to women. Who do you want to vote for, ladies? No, but my no, no. So well, that, they, what they're that's thinking not which is work. Well, I don't I, look. I. I, I would have loved to have been a fly It's like on when the they wall. took down Henry Hyde. They were like, oh, you want to say that about Clinton? Yeah. That guy right there. It, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Chuck Schumer sat down with Al Franken and said, so the, the, the term of art is human shield. We're going to use you to plow through a minefield to create a bigger hammer to win more yeah. elections. Have you been in a political calculus <laughs> yeah. before? Because yeah. so, yeah. you are now. It's my <laughs> idea as Senate leader, Schumer, that you, Al Franken, should die for the cause. You know? yeah. yeah. How do you feel about that? And then exactly. the carpet starts Everyone moving toward the door. Everyone take one step forward, Everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. You have now volunteered. You didn't go to college. But you're a published author. Those, by the way, those are wholly unrelated. Correct. The, the reason I'm asking that question is, um, when you, what had you written? You have a great people who uh, uh, are looking for a great read, especially to give to people for uh, the holidays to start you new off. Uh, In case we die is the name of your book. Correct. And it came out a couple years ago. Right. And it's. Basically, a Roman clay about your time in rehab, although it's fictionalized account, uh, draws on that world right, right. and those experiences and tells a, um, tells a, a, a different story, a generational story. Well, um, yeah, I mean, really, uh, it is the uh, in case we die is a is a love story that 
you know, that, that, um, a porn shop serves as the background for, you know, mm-hmm. so, so, uh, you know, it's like, I want, I wanted to write a love story and I had to make it and I, but I had to entice everyone in to read it. So, right. uh, and, and really at the time, you know, in the early nineties that that was my life. I worked the graveyard shift at a porno shop in downtown Seattle. So midnight to eight o'clock in the morning, if you were looking for a dirty magazine or a videotape, then you came to me. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. And one, it's so funny when you, how, when you, people tell you something and a song will cue in your head. All I heard in my head when you said you worked midnight to 8 a.m. Yes. In a porn store in Seattle. I see trees of green, <laughs> red roses too. You get a lot of guys looking at the shoes, scratching their face a lot. Um, you get I mean, the parade of... You, let's, uh, you met a lot of comedians. I'm telling you right now. You met a lot of comedians. Maybe a, well, it, and you know, there, there was... there. It, it was an interesting shift to work because, you know, you, you come in at midnight and the, the there were girls dancing in the back in booths, you know, like like, oh, okay. like in the Madonna well, video. It was a real place, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, so... Until, Is this the place across the street? The Showbox Theater used to be the improv... Really? Yeah, in the early nineties, huh. it was the for a brief shining moment. The Showbox Theater was the improv, and one of the uh, waitresses also worked at that place. Right, and she had a glass eye. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy that I was working with went and saw her. We were all going to meet later at the Cafe Cyclops, mm-hmm. and I remember telling this guy. Because he was, because he'd struck up a friendship with this young lady, and he was going over to her other place of employment after the show, and I said, uh, "Well, tell us, tell her to meet us with at the cafe Cyclops." And he said, "If you think I'm going to go tell a stripper with a glass eye to meet me at the cafe Cyclops, you're out of your fucking mind." And it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard hey, in my what life. A, what a perfect story for for Tom Waits' birthday. It exactly, it, is. it really fits. It really fits. Um, uh, you well. That's you know. That's gr- the it, it, it. It's ground level. You're at you're at uh, ground zero for a lot of people. Exactly, and you know the that was the great thing about the job is that um is that nobody else wanted it. Yeah. So I could you know I was playing in some bands at the time, so I could go off on tour whenever I wanted for a couple of weeks. You know, I wasn't I wasn't in the kind of band that that went on tour for a year or a month, but I could disappear for a couple of weeks, three weeks, and my job would always be waiting. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, 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 and if I showed up intoxicated, it's midnight. No one cares. Yeah, no one cares. As long, you know, as long as the place is still there in the morning, I did my job. Do people at that, at that level, do people still make excuses? Like, these are pretty stupid. I guess I'll buy it. It's a gag gift. It all the time. Four in the morning on a Tuesday, dude, just pay for them and leave. Yeah. And the, the, uh, uh, or, and, and, and businessmen all the time, you know, businessmen come in and they won't use their credit cards. We did take credit cards back then, but everyone's paying in cash and it made it, uh, yeah. so it made it super, uh, ripe for embezzlement sure. on my part. <laughs> uh, I could show, you know, I could show, I could show up loaded. I could stay loaded the entire time. To me, it was, uh, the perfect job. And, uh-huh. and uh, I, th- 
think that that much uh, that much sleaze and and you know there there are you know there are tv monitors with porn blasting on it all the time and my senses yeah just, just became numb to everything absolutely. and and in retrospect it was a very unhealthy environment <laughs> in retrospect <laughs> but at the time the, i did not gift, recognize that the time has given you the gift of objectivity <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and i don't know how it affected me emotionally or anything like that or uh well you do i would think you just get desensitized right, to the right. whole thing um, and, but, uh, uh, or yeah. And, and it was it, people who, people who, you know, drug addicts and people who work in that kind of environment have developed skills that later on in life, if used for good can be, because if you're going to, you know, if you're going to shoot a hundred dollars worth of heroin every day, you have to learn some, uh, manipulation skills, you know, sure. they're, they're just, they're, they're, and, and you can use those for oh, good or you can yeah. use those for evil later on. No you know? one is more charming than an addict. They have to be, you know, <laughs> they have to be. So, uh, yeah. And that, and that's why, uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people fall for that. And then they think, and they think, oh, he, they're such, he was such a nice guy or so again, he's so charming. It's like, yeah, because he's had to develop that skill right. in order to, to uh, to get your money to get his drugs fix right yeah. yeah yeah and he'll be charming until he has to slit your throat <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what you know that's Charlie from the book he is the he's the perfect example of that right um, although you know at the same time many drug addicts can be sweethearts in mm-hmm. to their core and right. and and and, and Drugs changes your behavior, but doesn't really change that. Uh huh. I would say Champ Arcade was a a big store. It was almost like a small supermarket of magazines and videotapes and and assorted toys and outfits and things that you know everything that you could get. And then you walked in the back of it, and there was a really dark, seedy hallway which had booths on it that you could either go watch movies. Uh, you could enjoy a glory hole if you were looking for that. You could. Now let me stop oh. you right there. <laughs> Does anyone really enjoy a glory hole? I. Uh, it just seems like something you grind through. <laughs> it's just a gnawing, a gnawing need that you got to go through. You and I may not have the daredevil gene that it takes. <laughs> <laughs> to enjoy yeah. a glory hole. The, the genital cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> yeah. There's just an innate idea of like I'm going to I'm going to stick my dick through this hole. There's something on the other side that I don't know about. I go right to Here's what I go right to. I have a you know, you know in the morning, yes. you might have saw this Danny in my kitchen. I like a nice shake in the morning. I make myself a little smoothie in the morning, and that's my breakfast. And I have a special blender with three blades on it that go up. And that's all I think of. <laughs> Best prank ever. Ooh. Ooh. Well, and it just occurred to me this moment, like really, like, like earlier I was saying that my, my theory that nobody really believes in God. Uh, but perhaps those who go 
to glory hole have the kind of faith there's a le- there's a level of faith that is definitely required yeah I, and, and as as much time as i've spent in that kind of environment and as many terrible things as i've done in my life i yeah that sort of thrill seeking has not right appealed to me yet <laughs> I, like I like that you're holding out the realms of the, there are there are many many colors in the human palette correct <laughs> And I get the tactic because they want to be pure to hammer on Trump. But in their world, there's a backlash a little bit now. And there's a schism. So on one hand, you have Gillibrand and and some of the people who think we have to have zero tolerance and send a real strong signal. And then you have kind of the incrementalists, which was, well, let's put them through the ethics committee and do a real investigation. Because there's all this internet stuff on Land Tweeden now and Mm -hmm. everything. So um, to your question, though, it is impossible in practical politics and most human activity Any to business. be completely pure yeah so they they have to uh and they've already have the trump stuff it's not like you can shame this guy out of all no, there's nothing you can bring out on yeah. him I mean, there's nothing no. you can bring but, out but, on but if you but, can't you get know. him with the excess hollywood thing you're not no, gonna, but, but yeah, back, you're just back, back to go. the numbers though i mean you know i i yes he won by a a eyelash of votes seventy eight thousand, i think was the number seventy eight thousand margin out of 13.9 billion people spread out states. over how many states three Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. It was a hiccup. You have that election today, he loses. Um, but I wish I believed that. No, no, no. See, well, he's got the Rasputin. <laughs> I, I just see 2020 landslide. Yeah. I just, no, I just, but I this just, is what's happened to the liberals and a lot of the media. That. It's the Rasputin factor. Well, we poisoned him three times and he didn't die. He's immortal. You know, he's yeah. got everybody bluffed. New poll out, good poll. Poll you can believe from Pew. Not a low-budget newspaper poll or an right. ideological poll. Sacramento he's down to a 25% approval rating with women. I mean, it's unbelievable. And among this yeah, is but the to me, there's a twenty-five percent women support him. <laughs> yeah, like, remember, <laughs> it's forty-eight and a half to fifty to win. Yeah. Um, among white evangelicals, Protestants, or I think all evangelicals, even some Catholics, mm-hmm. used to be at seventy-eight percent approval, down to sixty-one. So he, I'm just telling you. Well, his his this his is tech- he's like a Bitcoin bubble. You know, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, yeah. I think blockchain is going to be just huge as forever, much transparency, but, but the, the invincible Trump thing, I don't believe he will be reelected. I don't even think he's going to run for reelection. I say this as the guy was wrong about him winning. Yeah. But well, I think us were wrong I, uh, one, one possible scenario. And then I want to talk about what's going on in Alabama. One possible scenario is, uh, he has to pardon Don Jr. So Donnie Jr. doesn't go to prison. And that evaporates his political capital, and he steps down for the good of his family. Well, that's the leverage. The theory is they get his kids in something. I think Don Jr. is or being even they get for him sideways. Remember, remember, they got Manafort on Fredo's, like tax stuff. Fredo's going to go fishing. Yeah. He, went, he went Capone style. Yeah, there's a reason that Trump's yeah. tax returns are the biggest secret in the world, you yeah. know, to the mm-hmm. public. So. I, I, can they get them? Can can uh, I, look, can uh, Mueller can get them? Can Mueller get them? Turns out that MAGA meant Mueller ain't going away. No, they can absolutely get them. Yeah. Special counsel. I, uh, I had the character building that. experience of uh, having some FBI jackets show up at my office once in a campaign I was involved in. Oh yeah, and then I got to meet a grand jury, um, <laughs> really? which was a bunch of people reading like Harlequin romances and yawning. And the lawyers <laughs> told me on the way in the room they can indict a ham sandwich. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And uh, yeah. I was not the target, but it was an investigation of a campaign I worked on. Uh-huh. And I got over a six-month period, 
to taste the overwhelming investigative power of the FBI because mm-hmm. they throw 500 people at it. Right. They, in, in, when I was interrogated by my now friend, Mike Chernoff, who was the, the, the U.S. attorney, he was waving my phone records around, waving faxes that have been sent from my house that he had. It, it is when they look at you, they see everything. So I would say I don't know where it'll go, but I believe Mueller is the best in the business. He has nearly unlimited resources. Mm-hmm. And so imagine the Star Wars garbage compactor. He's got Trump has legal pressure coming one way and these lousy poll numbers and Republicans being afraid to be seen with them in some swing states, the Virginia loss, he's got that wall coming the other way. Mm-hmm. So he is in both political and legal jeopardy. Where it goes, uh, my crystal ball is cracked. Right. But he's got bigger problems than anybody in that job since Nixon, and his numbers are worse. And it happened, and it happened faster. It took yes. Nixon yeah, five man. years. Yeah, and First he did year. it to himself. That's the other it's thing. All he constantly puts his finger in the electric socket. Yeah, well, the, the, and everything else. The, the, well, don't you think the if, tweets, you, if you're Rasputin, you don't care. Yeah, but it, you know <laughs> yeah. the thing is, you could behead Rasputin. Rasputin got sure. killed. No, ultimately you know? they got yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it will be like this sort of sexual harassment awareness that the 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 tipping point will come. I was, I was talking about uh, the hundredth monkey syndrome, where everybody has the same idea at the same time that 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 that, uh, that people go off him all at once. I I think it's going to. I, I think that he would. I I can envision. A a Saturday Night Massacre event where he fires Mueller and pardons Jared and Don Jr. Sure, could on happen. the same sure. night, but that I think would be the end of it. I think that he would. You know, I don't know. I, let me put it this way: he is capable of just about any yeah thing like that. But we're waiting to see. We're waiting right. to see. He's not completely irrational. He has his own kind of animal spirit instincts that he follows mm-hmm. and clearly this Mueller thing drives him completely batshit crazy so well it's obviously the first time in his life he's ever been held accountable to anything yeah except a banker well yeah yeah and that they, didn't work out so hot yeah no, yeah no, no no one wanted to give him any money yeah hence yeah that's hence one of the big Jerry questions is is there offshore money and then you know we for we, sure do you know there's a whiff of borscht to the whole thing now i mean that's not controversial well, look, the, the deutsche yeah. bank thing is not uh, a surprise to anyone who has any understanding of his businesses in yeah. new york and the bankruptcy of the casino business yeah if you know all that and they put some chart up on on uh i think it's cnn or msnbc the other day of which banks have loans to him there are no U.S. banks anymore because no. those guys collectively said, you've gone under so many times. We're yeah. going to have to eat this $980 million on the casinos. We're not loaning to you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that was no, Mer- his credit that was J.P. Morgan. That was Merrill yeah. Lynch. That was Morgan Stanley. They all said, we're not loaning to you anymore. Deutsche Bank will loan to you, but it's not really their money, if you know what I mean. Right, right, it's right. It's largely a clearinghouse right. for the Right, and Russians. those people don't like to be welched on. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no, but it's a not U.S.-based bank. Right. Yeah, no, it, it, it'll be very interesting. And uh, uh, so, again, by the time this airs, uh, uh, drops, we will know who the new senator from Alabama is. What, what I find interesting in Alabama is it's going to hinge on abortion. The, basically, where they're going is Roy Moore is against abortion and Doug Jones wants right. to well, murder, murder your baby. It's a and, pro-life and Roy, state, so... Yeah. And Roy Moore's bumper sticker is you can't molest an aborted child, which I think is true. Uh, <laughs> I thought to it which was, he said, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was y'all. <laughs> I thought it was y'all don't worry. The Senate ain't a mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, 
But 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 that does like when you when you talk about like another uh well one what what I what I say to that is stop sending me uh whatever your name is Cecil Cecile Richards or panicky Planned Parenthood emails every day. Abortion will never be illegal because the Republican Party needs it <laughs> to terrify you into voting. You know, that's a unified field theory um, that I don't really believe. The abortion won't be totally illegal because the Supreme Court has ruled. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party is both pro-life and pro-choice. It has both parts. The pro-life voters are more numerous, so they have a larger influence. The Democratic Mm -hmm. Party, with the exception of guys like Casey in Pennsylvania, is almost all pro-choice. So where I agree with you is... Both parties have well-oiled machines to fight over this issue, mm-hmm. but it is unlikely the outcome will change. Yeah, and I, but but I do think that there are, you know, in the case of the Roy Moore campaign, thank God for abortion, because that's all he has. Well, yeah, no, no, he, look, that is a, I've worked down there, um, and the truth is, I like Do they have the- I know some of the coolest people in my life, I mean, I have a long Alabama connection yeah. in history. Um, which is why I'm not sure Doug Jones is going to lose. By the way, I, well, that's the other I think thing. He has a well, I was looking. Yeah, yeah, Birmingham is is pretty solidly against Roy Moore. Well, or, you, or the burbs around. The, but I also think I also think it's going to be. It could it could also be like uh, the Virginia race, where like the news business. As you like to say, is that it's neck and neck, it's neck and neck, well, yeah, and, and then they call yeah, it, yeah. and then they call it at five thirty for Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, turns out it wasn't. Thanks for tuning in. The, the battle you've got is between normal political gravity, where it is an overwhelmingly Republican state, and the fact that Roy Moore is such an epically flawed candidate. So, can everything get warped? So, how would it work? What what unnormal has to happen? Yeah. Well, one, you've got to have a huge Democratic turnout, like you saw in Virginia in the governor's race. There's mm-hmm. something in the water, not hard to figure out what it is. Right. Other than Punish Birmingham, Trump. where are they? Yeah, in well, Alabama. Here's, here's a little Alabama trivia. Let's say we were all on a ridiculous reality show, and you guys have to get on one plane and meet a rocket scientist in the old Confederate South. You have 20 minutes, and we have, to, we have no time to research it. Huntsville, Alabama. Up to your neck in PhDs and rocket people. They're right. a big NASA thing. That's where the engines were really designed. Yeah. Um, Mobile, Port City, kind of like New Orleans. A lot of Catholics, a little more tolerant. South of Birmingham and Tuscaloosa over a little bit to mm-hmm. the to the west. But south of Birmingham, it's Boomtown. A lot of Republican suburbs. You know, you might even be able to find a Trader Joe's. You guys would feel right, right. at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, my assistant multiplex. would feel right yeah, at home. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. What is that again? Oh, a yeah. store. <laughs> so... The the swing votes are going to be big Democratic turnout, particularly African-Americans. Right. They, they got to show up huge. Yeah. Second, Which they didn't in Michigan, Wisconsin, second, Pennsylvania. Yeah. A friend used to teach at Auburn. That's a college town. He says he can't find a Roy Moore yard sign there right. uh, in the street. But second, you're going to need suburban Republicans to not show up anywhere near normal or not yeah. vote anywhere near normal. Or, or, yeah, or show up and not vote. Yeah, and I think there in. will be some silent people who vote no. Now, I do think Judge Moore uh, has had a pretty good couple of days here because Trump is putting a finger on the scale for him and for Trump sure. is popular down there. Right. And once again, one of the rules of life is nothing good comes from glory all red. I agree with that 100%. So, Absolutely. She got out the Including marker. her daughter. So now they yeah. have something to close the race on, which is the big forgery Put yeah. up against uh, Roy Moore, so I, I you know, agree with you that put a 100%. gun to my head. I think you know most people think Moore will edge it out. So 
when I worked there, I would I kept a notebook of different characters that or people mm-hmm. that I or stories that I would encounter, and 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 with the thought that this will be a great book one day, right? And I put that aside for many years, decades, in fact, and um, um, and I started uh, started writing uh, just about that aspect of it, and then um, I, I met this woman, Amy Ferris, who was the uh, the violin player in Dave Alvin and the Guilty Women, and. Uh, and uh, um, I fell for her immediately, and she had she was uh, uh, an amazing person with with a dark side, mm-hmm. she, you know. She, and uh, and this, you know, she had uh, uh, she had suicidal thoughts since since she was a young young child, and and we talked about this a lot, and I heard about her life and. And uh, about the voices that she heard, and um, and I started to incorporate that into the story, and uh, um, and then in 2009 she um, she committed suicide, mm-hmm. and uh, I say finally because it sort of had been on her agenda, on her itinerary for her entire life, right. And it was kind of in in her mind, it wasn't a matter of if, but when. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so now, for that, do you do you think it was the lid to the kettle in the sense of when when the eventually this pressure is going to become too great, and I'll just pop the lid off? I, I, yeah, I mean, it because it, I've had friends that took their life. And I always would say you can't apply rational thoughts to an irrational person. No. But this sounds like it was a pretty rational. Well, I think she I think she stuck around for a long time because for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I I like to think that I was one of them and you know, and her parents and for the people that she played with and uh and and uh, uh and so I really I consider that time that I knew her as to be a favor to me mm-hmm. and uh the but uh, and and having never had a suicidal thought in my life, which is a strange thing for someone who was you know a junkie for more than a decade mm-hmm. uh you know as 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 self destructive as I have been or as i was um that the that thought never occurred to me. I never wanted to die. And so uh, I, don't, I don't know the kind of pain that drives you to that. Right. I don't understand the kind of pain, to, but, uh, but it's a very real thing, obviously. I mean, uh, with, with her, you know, in her circumstance, she was insanely talented, incredibly beautiful and had many things going for her. And like, it, it, it's hard to make sense of. I mean, Chris Cornell is the same thing, you know, like yep. what a, I mean, if a man had everything in this world, it was him, but it, it's not enough. Right. So, you know, as as the world sort of has embraced, you know, my particular demons, you know, uh, addiction as a disease, and now we sort of know 
what to do when, when, when we encounter someone who has that, uh, um, where, you know, 25 years ago when I first got sober, it really wasn't quite that way. It was still, you know, looked upon differently. Uh, but, and, and now we need to make the, the shift to those mental health issues, you know, to depression and start, you know, we all know as a community, as a civilization, that it's a disease and, but we're so fucking scared of it, you know, that, that, uh, that we don't know what to do. And it's, it seems impossible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's also, I think a lot of, uh, it, it's, it's just weird. It's viewed as a weakness. Right. But if you die of lung cancer because you smoked all your life, that's just shame. We can't cure cancer yet. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know what Mitch Hedburn said that alcoholism is the only disease you get yelled at for having. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> and d- depression is that's amazing. Yeah, depression and the the what I learned in my experience with Amy about depression is is to uh, is you know I listened to her and I believed her. You know, and mm-hmm. and when she told me that her time in this earth was limited, I believed her and 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 chose to live live or spend the time that I had with her just like it was a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And um and it was it was beautiful in its way, you know. Um I wish that she was still here, but right. the, uh, but that experience, you know, that experience of like, this is, this can only last a certain amount. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know if it was, it wasn't liberating, but it was, uh, I, I haven't experienced anything like it since. And I, and I can't imagine it again, but it was, um, uh, it was, real in in it, it was real in the most permanent way you know mm-hmm. the way it has affected my life and yeah. s- some people might think of it as scarring but i th- i think of it as a, a experience that i would wouldn't have traded i know people that are really wealthy and well off and uh, not, not friends of mine, but people I've encountered in my life. Right. Uh, and you know, they're about an eighth of an inch deep <laughs> and they just care about money and success and, and the trappings thereof and, and golf. <laughs> oh, and, who could you be talking about? <laughs> and, uh, they're made of the same stuff as Amy, you know, but, uh, genetically. Right. Uh, and, it just seems that uh, some people are some people are just sent in the world to feel more than others. I believe that, and they and nine times out of ten, it doesn't make them happier. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's the more you feel, the more uh, the the more stuff that gets in the highs. The highs are higher, and the lows are lower. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Yeah, it's and, and I, I think I, f- I f- feel things on a different level. And but I have a way, you know, through through writing, I have a way to 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 to, d- to deal with that. Um, 
but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's straight out of being uh, uh, desensitized from working at the Champ Arcade. But I don't. Uh, I don't feel things the same as deep. Yeah. As as uh, as some people do. Yeah. Well, you have a you have a nice padding to your break. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe too nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just get that. After a while, you just, you, you just, I don't know if you become desensitized or if it just all the thrill and all the thrill goes out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all going to shit the bed at some point, <laughs> as my dad would say. Before I shit the bed. <laughs> did you have any, did you have any experience writing? Like who, who literally edited your book? And like, in terms of like the structure of a novel, it, Sent you know the grammar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, my grammar's awful. Um, I uh, uh, you know I've been a snobby book collector my whole life, so, mm-hmm. and and uh, I love books. I love. I mean, I have walls of books, and I you know I only have hardbacks. I only have first yeah. editions, and many of them signed, and and I adore them as a as you know for the words in them and the and the smell of them and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm in love with books. Um, and, but really the, like once when Amy passed, it, then it became a mission. You know, like I wanted to tell her story before it was too late because right. I know, uh, you know, I know that the, um, I know that sitcoms have damaged us and we only have a certain amount of attention span left. So it became, you know, an important thing to write. Like I had been working on the book for a long time. I don't even know how many years casually. And then, and then it became a daily routine and something that I was uh, like, I had saved a bunch of money from working and I was going to put this, you know, I was going to put the book out myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got lucky and Fantagraphics did it for me. Right. Um, But, it was that story was going to be told no matter what. Yeah, it really was just um, the urgency of telling a story. It's I was possessed by it, and it had to be done. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that eventually it takes over, and there's a beautiful moment where the characters start to write themselves, and it and you just kind of follow it. And yeah, and I, I you know, I did not um, the kind of structure that the book had was I knew what the end, I knew what the beginning was, and I knew what the ending was, and that really that was it. And I just let the rest happen. And that was, that's the enjoyable part of, of writing is like, let's see what happens today. Right, and, right, uh, right, 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 right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm working on another novel now. And it's the same, it's the same formula. I, I've started it. I know how it ends and I'm filling up, I'm filling in the middle right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, well, the, for the last couple of years, I've been out on tour over 300 day, days a year. So I haven't had a lot of time to work on it. But, right. Um, and, you know, when I finished In Case We Die and I was, and I was used to a, a strict regiment of writing every single day, um, and all of a sudden that was done. And I kind of was going a little bit crazy. That's when I started writing haiku. Mm-hmm. And, and every day you wake up and you write. Well, the um, there is a writing exercise that you know that people do where they write a haiku a day for a year. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing that, and I posted them on Facebook uh, without explanation. 
so the, the, the funny thing was it took people a while to figure out what I was doing. But in the meanwhile, I got notes from like relatives and friends like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're concerned about you. Another Trump thing that I think is allied to this is the death of kindness. I get the constitutional law argument that a gay couple wants to buy a cake from a guy. A guy says, I'll, you know, I'll sell gay people cakes, but not, I don't believe in that marriage sacrament, so I don't want to sell cake. So they drag them to court. Now, I think they're probably right on the law, but there's a furiousness to it. You know, like, look, give the guy a break. He'll sell all the cakes in the world to all the gay people in the world. He just doesn't want to sanctify the marriage. Right. You know, you can be right on the law and show a little kindness. Do you really drag his ass to the Supreme Court over it? Right. This is, this is my independent, uh, Angus King is my kind of guy uh-huh. type of issue, wherein I feel, go to another shop. Right. That's there what is saying. another cake shop. Yeah. Just go someplace. He doesn't want to sell you one. Yeah. Take your money. Vote with your dollars. Take right. your money right. and go to another shop. There's yeah. this guy is not Da Vinci yeah. with you know the uh, cream that they put on yeah, top. No, of no. That. Just go to another store. Everywhere yeah. and he yeah. says you're gay. Get exactly. out of my house. Exactly. That's a different deal. It's well, not the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah, right. He doesn't want to sell yeah. you a cake. There's if, another cake store in if town. If a government, so yeah. No. Go get go get your cake someplace. Well, they look at it as an extension of if a government clerk and like you, I'm sure they're right on the law. Yeah. I'm just saying, go, go, go. Well, they, I think, I think the scene is a branch of like, if a that, government, by the way, a, that's different from the, that idiot woman who won't that's what sign I'm a license. About. Oh, totally, yeah. totally. She different. works for the no, government. No, no, she has to sign. Look, yeah. and I get the legal case. He can't deny commerce and all that, but the discrimination was not to their sexuality. You know, he, he didn't have trouble selling cakes to gay people. He just didn't believe in gay in marriage. marriage. Yeah. So the question is, do you really get out the legal chainsaw and behead the guy? Or do you say, eh, we disagree. We're on one society here. Right. There's another cake store down the way. Recommend one to me. We are not a nation of categories of people. And so this identity politics thing, we're like, I've got to check my gene code before I vote. And let's see, I'm right. a Catholic guy from the Midwest, so I got to vote for O'Flanagan. Um, <laughs> it, it is, it is not what the country is built on. And when it, when we get into all this typism, as an Asian American, I can only support mm-hmm. Asian American issues. Right. You know, it's insane and well, it that, is corrosive yeah. on the country. As, yeah, well, that was and the, the Trumps of the world thrive in it because you get warlords for each thing and then they use politics to fight. And then, you know, we balkanized our national identity. But you know, I, wouldn't you say that that failed for um, for Hillary, that women did not block vote for her? Yeah, and say, but, like, as a woman, I have to support this woman. They didn't. Yeah. And hence, she lost. The, that was the flaw of the Hillary campaign, I think. If I saw another ad <clears throat> with a bunch of telegenic 11-year-old girls with their hand on the heart looking up adoringly, you know, she had all that vote for free. The question is, if you were she didn't a get it. white working class woman in a uh, watching food stamps go through a checkout line somewhere... Uh, you didn't think she was on your side. You thought she was caring a lot more about bathrooms somewhere as opposed to bending metal here in Ohio where they, my husband just got laid off again. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, her inability to communicate is, is kind of on her. I do think I've run a lot of campaigns for and against women. There is a weird thing in gender politics where it is easier to get women to vote for other women for advocacy officers, offices like Senate and Congress than it is for administrative offices like governor or president. There's why, and why do you think that is? I don't know. They perceive like senator as an advocate. And like I work for Christine Todd Whitman. As in she's going to fight for me. Yeah, like uh, Patty Murray in Wisconsin. Yeah, didn't you in, get her to beat Florio? Well, Patty Murray 
got elected on a very clever slogan, a mom amongst the millionaires in the U.S. Senate. And, you know, I'm an advocate. We ought to have a mom in there. We got a veterinarian. Right. You know? um, right. It's a deliberative body. It's like your lawyer. She's going to make an argument. They used to run ads, Southern Democrats did, against female candidates in primaries in the Deep South, showing the male governor on a tank. The National Guard needs a commander who understands the battle order. of, And it worked. I worked for Christine Todd Whitman, both of her successful campaigns. We never carried the female vote. And she was pro-choice all the way. Yeah. Uh, almost pro, you know, all the way. Liberal Republican, right out of the Rockefeller mold mm-hmm. on most issues. And we could never get women to vote for her. And it was more a class thing than anything else. Yeah, I think people don't understand the class differences. You ran the race. Was Florio was one of those races, right? Yeah, yeah, we beat Jim Florio. Or as we used to call him, the worst governor in New Jersey history. (laughs) And that's saying something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's That's a tall order. And the, the way that politics is changing, how is how is your business is also in a point of drastic upheaval? The, For sure, the television business is also crazily. And that, that you know, you talk about the balkanization of our culture. What I the way I approach all of that stuff, cakes or what have you, is I have my beliefs, but not everybody in the country believes in what I believe in and agrees with everything that I agree in. Dope and, and monsters, and I know. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 and that's what drove me. That's what drives me crazy about a lot of Bernie bros is it's mm-hmm. just anti-Trumpism, but it's the same fealty to this cult of personality. Right. Like, no, it's also so the people sa- think that Donald Trump is the savior. Bernie Sanders is the savior. It's, it's like, also yeah. grievance politics. Trump yeah. blames everything yeah, on guys tunneling in from Mexico. Bernie's big shtick is you want to get a PhD in yoga, candle making? Yeah. Sure. It'll cost 400000 but you can't let the man put you in debt. The yeah. corporate vaults have all the money. He'll pay. Right. You know, so it's the same grievance. I was, very surpri- I was very surprised that when he said uh, college would be free, that he got a lot of support amongst people in college. Um, right. <laughs> it was like Rand Paul when he, when he, I went to his thing at the Iowa straw poll and I got a contact high because two thirds of his voters were free dope guys. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. I'm on board. I don't believe in, we just have to take the things that I believe in and ram them through. So everybody agrees with us. That's not how it works. It's, and, and the thing that I have seen is the, because of niche entertainment, niche news sources, that everything is tailored to you and you fall into this false belief of why isn't everything the way I want it to be? Why, why do I have to watch shows that yeah. I don't like? Why do I, you know, everything should be what I want. And I think people forget, no, it, it, there's a lot of different things that go into this. And you kind of kind of put up with shit you don't like. It's part of being in a large yeah, family. Well, both, large- look, both businesses are, are in a direct-to-consumer model, right. if you will. Uh, TV and film are evolving into that. Um, but the, you know, the business of politics is a direct to consumer model. The difference is, you know, on the, uh, motion picture and entertainment and TV side, there are myriad choices and options. Uh, on the, uh, political side, you can choose between Hillary or Donald Trump. Right. It was back when we were kids and there were only three networks. Right. And, uh, and nobody, and you know, you didn't want to watch ABC. So you got to choose between NBC and and CBS. Right. There's just not as many choices. It's not, it's not directly analogous, I guess is what I'm saying. The infinite choice for the consumer in media is not, there's not reflected by an infinite choice in politics. There isn't one. Though there's pressure to go there. And I think it's a bad thing because you got to force consensus. You look at these Latin American countries. I've worked in a few of the parties. And then you play the coalition game. It's the Green Party and this party. I think there was a lot to be said for three news networks. 
because everything got mainstreamed and went through a pretty good filter, often mm-hmm. by older guys who, you know, were a little left of center for my taste, but got shot at in wars and were grown ups. Right. Yeah, but there, there was a professionalism where, attached to the fact right. that A, they made money doing it. Right. And B, they got great ratings doing it right. in a very professional, grown up way. And that's right. gone. Yes. Yeah. Now it's broadcasting's gone. Everything's narrow. Yeah, which, okay, which exactly. is, which is kind of interesting for niche creative, but you lose the unifying forces. It's like there was a big discussion about the seventies. All these housing communities were built with garage out architecture. No main street. You didn't know your neighbors. You didn't right. walk around. Then it kind of came back in some of these communities architects were building where there was a main street. People like to walk around and everything. Mm-hmm. But what we find in politics, we used to have the model of the precinct where it'd be a captain, 30 houses, somebody go door to door, tell party headquarters, and then you'd have the other party's captain across the street. <laughs> Now it's all virtual. Your captain is on Facebook. It's your sister, the teacher, a thousand miles away. Yeah. And you don't know your neighbors that much. Yeah. No, forced consensus is, is important, uh, especially in, in a mass endeavor. The night before D-Day, they weren't like, okay, so who thinks that we should go this way? Right. Who thinks that we should go that way? Yeah. Who doesn't like the idea of boats? I want there, to make sure everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> needs to be heard. Yeah. Now, there are some gluten in the rations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anybody who can't handle that, we're telling the Nazis that you're taking Taking the day off. Yeah, there was a, it Patton who's yeah. gluten free? Ask yeah. George Patton if he's gluten free. Yeah, there, there is an, there, at a certain point you have to. Yeah, everybody has to march in the same direction. Singapore, it works. So, Fantagraphics print publish. Fantagraphics publishes the book. Correct. And then you're writing haikus. Right, right. Um, are you going to write another book? I am working on that. Uh, slowly but surely now. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the, uh, uh, second album, always second a trick. album. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it is a little intimidating, but mostly it's just, it's just finding time. Like I said, for the last couple of years with man, uh, tour managing Dave and the blasters, I've been away from home for 300 days a year. And, uh, yeah. that's a lot of road. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's, you, you know, sometimes you can grab a few minutes to write, but really, and, and I'm not getting home from this trip until New Year's Eve. Oh, really? So uh, I've just sort of, I'm going to put that off to next year. So. And where are you, like, where are you Christmas and all that stuff? I, <laughs> I drop the blasters off at the airport in Pensacola, Florida, early in the morning on Christmas Eve. And then I drive to Los Angeles. So I'll be it's somewhere... I'll be driving in Texas on Christmas. Wait a minute. Let's, okay. Wait. So you're with the, you're with the blasters. It's not Phil and Dave. It's, it's, it's the blasters. Phil's, yeah. Phil's blasters, right. which is, but it's, which but is everybody Dave. except for Dave. Okay. And Dave's not playing with them. No. Okay. He left the band in 1986 and we'll play with them on occasion. Yeah. He'll do in Los Angeles. He'll, you know, he'll do a benefit show. Right. He'll do special events. Um, and, uh, uh, so, so I go from, I go from here to, uh, to I fly to Boston on Sunday, and then we'll do the we're doing the East Coast, and then uh, with the Reverend Horton Heat, and then uh, yeah, drop them off Christmas Eve morning, and then I'll be just driving to Los Angeles. And you're because you have rented this van, or they ha- they why have, aren't you flying? Uh, I'm flying because they've already started. No, why aren't you flying back to Los Angeles? Oh, because we have the van with all the gear and everything. Okay, you have in it. the van yeah. and the gear, and it's easier to drive it yourself than to ship it. And yeah, and it's you got to get the van back. So right, it's uh, you don't own the van though. Uh, they they do. Yeah. They do. Oh, the blasters own the van. Yeah. Okay. 
so they own the van and uh and it's got to get back home so okay. that'll be me and we'll send them all send them home they have families and christmas stuff to do sure um uh i don't care about christmas stuff really right and uh and I'll see my daughter when I get home. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's all well and good. And do you, when you're traveling on the road, like I, I, to me, that doesn't sound like the worst thing on earth. No, I, I um, the driving by myself part is great. I yeah. mean, I have to deal with my bladder and my yeah appetite, and uh, I can listen to uh, I listen to my stories, which is basically just MSNBC all day long. Right? So. Yeah, <laughs> daily dose of rage. Yeah, and uh, and uh, or I'll throw on throw on a podcast or two and uh, or silence. That's good too. Mm-hmm. And it gives, you know, right. Gives Very me meditative. A, gives me a chance to uh, ignore the outside world and, uh, you know, visit those truck stops we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, do you sleep in the van or you get a hotel and get a hotel? Yeah. Yeah. Treat yourself right. I'm not a hobo. Dana. <laughs> you have, a, but you do have a bindle. <laughs> yes. Well, that's just for aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the second book about? Uh it just picks up where the last one ended, really. Same characters? Same characters, a uh, few uh, new ones. And um um you know, without giving away the ending to the first book for those who haven't read it, it uh, um it mostly deals with the with the male version of mourning. Uh-huh. Which is different than yes. the female version because we as as men we're or as men of a certain age we are not we're not we're really not taught how to do that no you in know, fact it's funny i've talked about this before there was that saying where i grew up kennedys don't cry right well that's really unhealthy yeah mourning is viewed as a weakness it, it is. is. Actually, it's not. It's Well, and we do, I mean, it's going to, the, the, the feelings are going to manifest themselves in some ways. And so if you, if you do it, and in my case, they, they manifest themselves in violent outbursts mm-hmm. and self-destructive behavior, not necessarily involving drugs and alcohol, but there's a lot of different kinds of self-destructive mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah, sure. And, you know, the... I'm familiar. Yeah, when, when my father passed away many years ago, I was, um, you know, you dealt with getting the family to Phoenix and dealing with the burial and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. And then two years later, I'm sitting on the, you know, sitting on the porch smoking a cigarette and just start bawling for seemingly no reason at all yeah and the, you, I'd know, go through you, that. you know you, you it's gonna come out yeah it, it 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 hits i'm i'm definitely like that i have been in situations that uh i didn't feel it until usually months couple months later yeah. something will happen and then three months later i'll wake up and like holy shit <laughs> well and and to to deal with that subject and then still make it funny is uh well we'll see how it turns out but that was my you know that's the goal is like i i i can't think of a in i can't think in literature when the, where the subject has been dealt with um um obviously a year of magical thinking deals with it mm-hmm. uh from the female perspective and uh, i mean in the end it's not that much different but it's just the way a you know 54 year old male was raised 
we don't we don't get lessons or we're not, we're yeah. not and there's no morning for dummies book yet. Well, actually there <laughs> there, there, should be, there yeah. probably is but I, I haven't seen it and uh, there's your book <laughs> that's what i'm going to call that, it you should call it that you should call it that i'm sure there is a, a, a i'm sure that they have a copyright on that for dummies but uh, uh no i'm going to write ventriloquism for dummies <laughs> My uh, uh, my working title is um, "Pretend I Never Happened." So, <laughs> Pretend I never. Look for it. Yes, in your grocer's freezer section. Well, you've got to get back on the big beautiful road. I do out and traverse the scars on the sickened body that is the interstate <laughs> highway system of this great land. What does the next 10 years look like in uh, broadcast television? In well, broadcast? Not broadca- well, not broadcast, but... Uh, I can tell you the next 10 years in broadcast, and it's ugly. Yeah, what is it? it I don't know what it becomes, honestly. Yeah. I think it becomes a, a largely affiliate-driven, uh, and I mean that in the sort of Sinclair broadcasting mm-hmm. nefarious way, uh, business, because the, the, the only money left to make in that business and it is in the owned and operated stations. Uh-huh. That's really you're not making money in the network. Did the business. CBS Star Trek experiment work? Where Star Trek Discovery was was used as a as bait to get people to sign up to CBS streaming? Not yet, because it's not on the network. Here's the, here's the problem with what CBS is doing. Uh, streaming generally is technology that's been adopted by everyone under thirty. They grew up, their parents paid for cable or satellite, they left the house, they're not going to pay for cable and satellite, so they'd rather stream it or steal it. So that's pretty much, I'm throwing a wide demographic blanket over it, but everyone under 30 feels that way. The CBS audience is the oldest audience in broadcast television. So they're trying to force old people, who I'm sure you've seen your parents try to operate any piece of technology, they're trying to force those people towards streaming, and it's not happening. Also, their content is not for young people. So Star Trek... You know, the following is not tweens who watch right. YouTube. So as a result, that strategy, I think, is flawed from uh-huh. the jump off. Uh, but have our networks going to head towards that model? Sure. That'll ultimately become the distribution model. Yeah, because there's one – streaming has one great card trick. Uh, it can be monetized. In other words, if you've got a show that 200,000 people learn to love and they will pay $1.99 a month for that – the revenue you get out of those 200,000 people at that amount, even if there are other shows, is much better than you're ever going to do with advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the cable carriage fees. Right. So it, the streaming has the ability to make shows with small audiences profitable if they're sticky enough. But we're in that demographic bubble where we got older viewers are like the blinking VCR light who right. can't be served by the market. And the younger viewers aren't quite big enough to do it all yet. And you got YouTube moving in trying to grab the same territory and iTunes and Amazon. Everybody's there. Yeah. I, it's interesting. My uh, daughter, uh, my oldest daughter loves the movie Coraline, the stop mm-hmm. motion animated movie. And uh, the other day I'm going through the TV and I see that she rented it. And I go, what, why is Coraline on here? And she goes, I, we, I, we were watching it. I was like, the DVD is right in that drawer. No, it was one just gag. easier. It was just easier. That's old people technology. It was just easier to sit yeah. on the. I mean, literally that. Look, that couch to that drawer. <laughs> 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 one click. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was two ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. But that's, listen, that's, uh, we talked about this the last time I was on here. You know, the in car DVD player begat that mentality, which is I can have it when I want it, how I want it, where I want it. Right. And once you give that to the consumer, there's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. They're not going to give up command and control like that. So it is easier for your daughter to click twice. Yeah. It's amazing. Then go get the DVD and put it in yeah. because she thinks I want it now. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get up next, it'll be voice. Hey, Plexa, play yeah. Carline. Sure. And then uh-huh. bing, you get a $2 it's already bill. There. That's another Chinese thing, just to bum us all out some more. Um, So's my kid. (laughs) Okay, well, there. Oh, a secret agent moving in. Exactly. In the AI and all this. How long have you been in this country, comrade? Is that that what you meant? There's another Chinese thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the world's most awkward transition. Speaking of Chinese things. Speaking of Chinese things to spend all our money. Because they have no privacy laws over there, they have the ability to uh, scale up AI power much quicker. Oh, is that true. Mike? Is that the is totalitarian capitalism the model of the? If you accept that this was the, the American century just finished, let's say now it went nineteen ten to twenty ten, it yeah. just finished. Yeah, the speech. And he's not going anywhere because he changed. The no, method he consolidated of all the power. There. Yeah, yeah. The, the old method they had was very smart because the hardest thing in dictatorship is old dictator, new dictator. How do you switch? And so they have kind of the horrible cage match, and there can be a civil war and trouble. So the Chinese had collective leadership. You know, the Politburo. Yeah, it's party It was a committee, yeah. and they'd all yeah. kind of agree. This guy's gotten rid of most of that. So he'll be here forever, but secession becomes a big, tricky, risky, destabilizing thing. Right. Um, I don't but know. I mean, their their model system. of authoritarian politics and basic free enterprise uh, and some it, social and social freedoms enough to enough, keep everyone enough. in check, but it's a pretty enough. formidable model. You know, I was in China in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I took a freighter across the Pacific. Long story. Wow. And I had to write a script for HBO. I started getting the business affair lawyer. Okay, time to turn it in. <laughs> uh, the check had cashed, and so I get there. I had a. Everybody says you're in a freighter. They imagine I'm in a hammock fighting for coconuts with a knife. <laughs> And guys in the engine room. It's, oh, I'm a, it's like Shooting a days in Somali hotel. pirates. It's fan- yeah, no, exactly. German captain, you know. Yes, I feel bad about the old days. You know. um, and so I love your America. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge container ship. So anyway, we go into Shanghai and we get off. And a couple of the Chinese longshoremen come up to talk to me to practice their English. At the port of Long Beach, nobody's practicing their Chinese. And, you know, they had like the hundred words. And it was, but they were, and they were there. And I said, what's your health care like? And they got, China, work then die. Yeah, and die. so that's the other team and our political freedoms are important i don't want to change them but we got to use them like grown-ups because when all we do is fight ourselves all the time the other guys with the 1400 geniuses and no privacy laws so their ai can move really quick why does that count you see the little chess thing in the news yesterday so remember big blue the super chess yeah, yeah. computer that mm-hmm. beat the world's greatest player right. spent 30 years of his life learning the game well, an AI machine just beat Big Blue two hours after they told it what chess was. It learned chess for two hours and wiped out the best chess computer in the world. Jeez. AI is really important and really powerful for the future. This is all the Kurzweil Yeah, exactly. Stuff. And so we're normally the best at everything. We have the best secondary universities. We have the best capital system. We still have the best courts. You know, We, we right. play with a lot of stuff. But we're just screaming at each other on cable TV and electing reality show clown president. There is a way to blow our franchise, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, I think and we have. That's my that's my that's yet, my dour are, take on it. We are. Treyas did a great study of a bunch of other really smart guys. 
where they compared next 30 years China with what they got and North America, not U.S., North America, Canada, us, Mexico is an economic unit. Right. And we beat them. But yeah. we have to, like, get up and do some push-ups and get organized here. Instead, we're dealing with this clown presidency. Yeah. Is there a historical uh, – who is in, – in again, looking from 300,000 feet down – uh, in a hundred years, and they're talking about uh, the, you know, the American presidency. Uh, is there anybody that they teach alongside Trump? Um, you know, you could do the wayback machine and find some kind of like Jackson, you know, some populist who tripped yeah. a lot of moot and mud in the boots and slugged a White House steward once in a while. You know, wild yeah. guys, sword fights in Congress, and all that. Yeah, but in the modern era, yeah, I think he is unique. I do too. I can't think of another. Yeah, he makes Nixon look like Gandhi. Yeah, no, I was you know I voted for, I voted for Obama over Romney, and now I'm like Romney, go. <laughs> please, yeah, I drive him into town. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Or yeah. Jeb Bush. Yeah, okay, I'll that, give him a but ride. that goes to, to me. That goes to what Mike said, which is competency. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I mean, I have was, a friend who's still in D.C. doing what you used to do, and he, mm-hmm. he said he said the ignorance is. Stupefying. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah. I was he listening said it's to the. Stupefying. I saw a great yeah. bumper sticker that said, any functioning adult 2020. I was listening to the hearings where they were working over the FBI director and the level of pure moron in some of these members of Congress. I've, it's I've worked unreal. with a lot of them. Some it, of those. Is, in both parties, it's pretty bad. I think one of the big problems, and this doesn't get talked about enough, is that the stakes of politics have become just another reality show. You know, your vote's really important because you screw it up. Next thing you know, your kid gets drafted, never see him again. Uh, stuff happens. But now, because we really haven't had, you know, we've had wars that have been horrific, but relatively small by World War One, World War Two casualty standards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have kind of people are doing well around the economy who kind of create great bubbles, their own schools and all that kind of stuff. It We haven't had a lot of pain, real pain, as a country. And so... Votes are just kind of like a TV, you know, Americans like yeah. you know, just vote and get entertained. It's, politics hasn't become very serious. And so we make non-serious choices because nobody takes time to really think about it. Or they just vote their frustration. The Bernie guys are mad that the man says they can't have a free PhD. The Trump guy is mad because uh, they, you know, laid off guys at a metal shop. I'd be mad too. You know, I'm 55. I'm not going to learn to work at Lave, and then I'm not going to go do a uh, feminist puppet theater group, Grant in Oakland. You know, I mean, I'm not going to get retrained for a lot. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of reasons to really be mad. Real wages haven't risen for most people in 10 years. And in, in 20 for a lot, they've gone down. So I get all that. But the vote is what steers the country. And in this new pop culture politics, where it's just who's your favorite housewife, who's, who's for, for president, <laughs> Trump's feuding with who, and the network world and, and news, cable news, that just sells conflict every day because it's good show business. You know, mm-hmm. you notice how in political coverage, and I work at one of them, and I think other than a few of the ghouls in primetime, they're better than most. Um, <laughs> NBC News, the straight side, I'm very proud of. They um, Every day is covered like the most important day of the campaign. Yeah. Every bit of trivia is the biggest thing. And that, you know, it's a great business, but... We, we, people don't take this as seriously as they should. And now we're going to have more problems. Well, I think that's I, my downer note there as we go from comedy. I already said we gave up the American reply. primacy. I so. think I, I think I speak for everyone when I say, <laughs> on the podcast, reach for the sky, David Goldbaum. We badly try.
This has been the Dana Gould Hour, brought to you by the Internet. Music by Andy Paley, with Jake Posner behind the board. Produced by Jeff Fox. Graphic design and web production by Spencer Hunt and Segan Friend. Sound editing and post-production by Jalinda Palmer and Joe Napolitano. Hey, if you like the show, why don't you drop us a line at show at danagould.com. Tom Kenny speaking. I'm a person, I'm a person, I'm a singer, I'm a singer, I love to sing, and DJ, boom, peace out, peace out, you want me, peace out.